get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. with three seconds to go and another gap of a turnover has found the puck in the back of the Blues net and that's a four on four goal a clearing attempt I believe off the backhand of Pareko gets kept in by Lawton because the forward busted out of the zone without the puck Flyers are going to bring it in drag it shoot it save is made and then they score it's off of Grace and in the back of the net five to one Philadelphia on a play that once again started with a turnover at the red line. I, I don't mean to laugh, but Saad loses the puck. Teresinka lost his glove. Mikula just tripped up. I mean, no one's. I, I don't know what the else to say. I mean, it's hard to explain what's going on right now. Uh, it's tough. And the Blues have lost eight straight and are coming home and are going to need some home cooking and support on Thursday against San Jose. They need something, that's for damn sure. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, the voice that you just heard there last night on 101 ESPN, will join us coming up at 30 minutes to try to make some sense of this Blues team and their current eight-game losing streak. Alex, it is now a franchise record, eight straight games. Their eight losses, first time in the first 11 games since 97, or excuse me, since 77-78. Let's get through a few stats here. They've been outscored 38 to 12 in this eight game streak. They have given up three or more goals in all eight losses. The Flyers coming into last night were averaging 26 per game. They finished with 34 at even strength against the Blues. And oh, by the way, we should probably talk about their goalie because you said, Alex, on the show, hey, the Flyers goalie is coming in hot into this one and he didn't play. Well, their backup goalie yeah. was 07 and 1 in his career. Prior to last night, he had given up an average of nearly full four goals per game in his three starts so far this year. They just felt bad. They want to give him that breadstick in the W category. If there's one thing I know about the Blues, at least from last season, when they face a goalie they've never faced before, it's like when the Cardinals bats face a pitcher right. from the left side who's a rookie. They ain't hitting them. Well, they ended up losing five to one. Now they've lost eight straight. Alex, it to me, like listening to that audio, watching last night, it's the same story repeatedly over and over and over again. 
What did you see last night? Uh, it, exactly what you said. I, I mean, it's it's to the point where their games are like their power play. It's predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen. With the exception of the Edmonton Oilers two games and that Boston Bruins game, you know what's going to take place. The Blues are going to play a very sound and solid first period like they did in pretty much all of these games in this eight-game losing streak. Second period is going to open up. The Blues are either going to score or they're going to get close and then the opposition's going to get the first goal, and then the head dips happen. And look what took place last night against Philadelphia. They score that first goal after the Blues have a power play where they put two shots on goal. They then turn the puck over. Philadelphia gets bodies to the front of the net, a backdoor play, and the player is parked in front of two Blues defensemen, and it goes into the net. And then after that, the snowball effect comes into play. They give up another goal off of a turnover and then a rush up the ice, and then the goal three seconds in. It's predictable. They've been outscored in their last five games in the second period. Going back to that Montreal Canadiens game, they were up 3-1. to one. They, they allowed three unanswered goals to Montreal. They've been outscored 14 to two in the second period since then. The third period in this eight game losing streak, they've been outscored 15 to three. Mm. The story, the narrative of this team is, at least my opinion, is the fragile. One thing happens and it all falls apart. And you heard it there, Joe laughing at it, Curbs laughing at it because it's really all you can do because it just doesn't make any sense. Joey said it on the broadcast last night. You've got talent on this team. There's no denying it. But it's like these guys know they have the talent, but they're forgetting that they can accomplish so much with their legs and their skills. When did the Monstars come down and suck out their talent? I don't understand how this happened, why it specifically happened to to the Blues. Like, this team should be good. (laughs) Like, Alex, I remember having the conversation. You were beside yourself. When I said, ah, I, I could see how they go under their points total for the season. You're like, BK, you're an idiot. They scored a, they finished with 100 points last year. How are they going to finish with fewer than, what was it, 92? I think was the, the point total yeah. for the season. Dom had it at 92.2. Like, you were like, that's absurd. That doesn't make any sense. There's no way that happens. Well, it, now, do you know what I would give yeah. at this point for this version of the Blues? To finish with 92 points on the season? It, I mean, I would give my my left side of my body. It, it, just the left side, huh? Yeah, not the right. Right-footed, right-handed. It, yeah, we wouldn't want, we need wouldn't, that to drive. We want you, know? you to lose that on your birthday, buddy. Thank you. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. This big is a great birthday. It's a big... It feels good. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Blues. Appreciate the birthday <laughs> gift. Big birthday gift for you. Blow out hey, those I candles. I told you where this was going to hey, end. Good news. <laughs> they won't lose tonight on your birthday. That's true. I, I have been steadfast. I know when this losing streak's coming to an end. Yeah, I hate to be their bear of bad news. You're getting to nine. Someone, someone was celebrating something other than that Blues victory with that expectation. Hey, last night, big day in the state of Missouri. Yeah. Vegas on the road, November 12th. That's when this comes to what an end. celebrating right there. Vegas on the road. You're, you're insane. You are insane with that prediction. And but then they beat Colorado next Monday. Let me, let this man the thinks they're going to beat a team that has won eight in a row, nine of their last ten games of the best record in the NHL after they just got shellacked by a team that had a goaltender who has had an 894 save percentage. What about the St. Louis Blues has made sense so far? Oh, yeah, they're not going to win again in November. <laughs> yeah, they're not, I, but here's the thing. Like, uh, Yes, I was beside myself, and I told you you were an idiot, but did anybody not agree with me after what we saw in the preseason from this team and after what we saw in the first three games? Goaltending was solid. Defensively, you shut out Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I'm just glad I wasn't here after that game. I would have said some nonsense. Maybe the BKO, ladies and gentlemen. Not really sure. But, like, there, there's, there's there's no denying what this team did in the first three games. 
What does not make any sense is what has happened in the eight games since. Like, that is what is so confusing to me. And, you know, I got this question last night on the text line and from Grant, our, uh, our producer for the for Blues games. He said, was 2018-19 this bad? And, you know, originally, because I was doing pre and post at the time for that, I said, yeah, I mean, it was lose for Hughes in November. We were talking about going to get Jack Hughes that offseason. Man, we'd be better if we had him. No, not real. Well, New Jersey is actually number one. Um, I, I, I thought it was this bad, but then I looked at it. It was nowhere near this bad. Like, they would lose a couple of games, but then they would win a couple of games. You'd lose one, you'd win two. You'd Alex, win- that's like asking, has there ever been anything like June of, what was it, 2021 for the Cardinals? Like, no, it was it was a historically bad month. This is literally, if you are a Blues fan, you have never seen an eight-game stretch like what the we're witnessing right only now. Thing, never in your entire history the of the only thing that is worse than this was that 2005-2006 season where they just surpassed that losing streak. But the problem was they only won four games in the month of October and November, but they also didn't have this eight-game losing streak. The seven-game streak didn't happen until January. So it's not as bad as that was. This is worse, but it's also to the point where I don't really have any answers anymore. I don't think they have any answers anymore. Ryan O'Reilly was pretty ticked off last night. Let's listen to Ryan O'Reilly after the game. This is as frustrated as I think we have heard him and Buffalo. He always sounds frustrated after losses because he takes the losses pretty hard. Listen to this. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's on the ice. You're going to be as close as you want off the ice. If you don't do it on the ice, it's not going to work. And it's just, we're not, yeah, we we all know what the problem is. It's just finding an answer and I I don't have it. And I'm pissed off. I don't have it. There are no answers. We're going to get questions about the coaching. No, I don't think that's the problem. We're going to get questions about the defense. Is that part of the issue? Yeah. We're going to get questions about Jordan Cairo. Has he played well? No, on the season, but I do think he was better last night, and I think he's been better now for the last couple of games, honestly. Yeah, if we're going to if we're going to sit here and talk poorly about Jordan Cairo when he looks bad, give them give the kid credit when he plays well because the last two games he has played a very sound game. I thought he actually had a couple of legitimately highlight real defensive plays last that night. led to scoring chances the other way. So we'll, we'll give him credit where it's due. Uh, has Ryan O'Reilly played up to his standards? No. Is part of that because of the lack of chemistry on his line? Yeah. I mean, you can go through on any individual player and ask, has this individual played up to the expectations? The answer for, I think quite literally everybody not named Braden Shin is probably no, and even for Shin, while he is there on the points, and you mentioned it yesterday, he's kind of Mr. Fix-It, where if you've got an issue with the player, you put him on Shin's line and they become a better version of themselves. Shin's had a couple of bad turnovers so far this year as well that have led to scoring chances the other way. So, honestly, it's top to bottom. Everybody's got to be better. The only one for me that has lived up to the expectations and actually surpassed them has been Bennington. And I know you hear that and you say, the save percentage is awful, but Bennington has kept his team in the game every time they've played. And it's it's to the point where you look at it and you say, man, that's not on him. There's so many of these backdoor chances, but you're right. Anybody other than that, they have not lived up to the expectations that you need them to be. And that's why Ryan O'Reilly said it there. It's like he's pissed off because you know what the answers are, but nobody's digging in to do the answers. We'll talk to Chris Kerber about all of this coming up at 1130. Maybe he's got some more answers than we do. He was in the building the last couple of nights. What did he see in person that we can't see on the television. We'll ask Chris Kerber about that coming up at 1130. 65780's ER Comfort Service text line. You guys can always get your questions in for questions and answers on the text line. But coming up next, 
are we buying what Mo was selling? Because yesterday, when asked about who his starting shortstop is is right now, he said, and there was no pause, Tommy Edmond. Does that mean they're out on the shortstop market? We'll ask that question next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's a lot of, as you mentioned, four really good shortstops out there right now. My understanding is the Cardinals have interest in zero of them. That Edmund's going to play short, Donovan's going to play second. They're going to focus on the catcher. Then they're going to focus on trying to bring Quintana back or get another starting pitcher. And then maybe a bench piece, maybe a bullpen piece. But that's it. Oh, Jim Bowden, who broke my heart yesterday. I love him. I think he's one of the best radio guests that you can have on. He did not exactly have what we wanted to hear well, he also yesterday here on the show. Aaron Judge is worse than Dansby Swanson. Touche. He is a former Major League Baseball general manager. He is now with MLB Network Radio and The Athletic. You can read his work there. You can also listen to our conversation with him in its entirety on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll get to what Jim had to say and what John Mosellock had to say yesterday here in just a moment. But Tanner. Breaking news! Let's go! The Cardinals have made a trade, ladies and gentlemen. With who? The Cleveland Guardians. Shane Bieber! Bieber! Jose Fermin. Who the hell is that? Okay, he's oh, an he a part of the trade for yeah, Bieber? He, he, along with Shane Bieber's coming to St. Louis. Nope, this is a big one. The Cardinals have acquired Jose Fermin from Cleveland for cash considerations and... Paul and... Young. He has been selected to be a part of the 40-man roster. What position does he play? He's an infielder. Oh. He he can play shortstop. He can play third. He can play second. He roams all around. He is 23 years old. And Alex, a couple of years ago, he was made, uh, named as the best infielder defensively in the Cleveland Guardians infield. So never. Or system, rather. Everyone listening, don't you dare say this offseason the Cardinals didn't go after a shortstop. Yeah, they acquired one. They put him on their 40-man roster. They were aggressive. You can wipe your aggressive. hands. Aggressive. You can wipe your hands clean. We are done. B. No more aggressive. Moves. B. E. Aggressive. Last year, he hit 215 in AAA. Oh. With an OPS of 659. In 90 games, he had 11 doubles, 6 home runs, 31 RBI. And nine stolen bases. He was caught stealing four times, which is not exactly the success rate. Power bigger, machine. Bigger bases now won't happen. What you said, though, is he gets on base one out of every four at-bats. One out of every three, but we were really close with that math, Alex. 250, uh, you said? No, three, 335 on base percentage. No. He's batting average is 250. Oh, 215. Yeah. Oh, okay, so two out of every on, 10 times. On base is not the same as batting average. We'll talk about that later. Same thing, man. The Cardinals have also made two other moves on their 40-man roster. Alex Reyes and Drew Verhagen have been reinstated from the 60-day IL. The team's 40-man roster is now at 38. I wouldn't pay too much attention to that. They can do some house cleaning on that later on. Alex, this trait, does it change anything in the world about what you think about Paul DeYoung's place on the roster or what they have right now down in AAA? Does it does it do anything for you? Let Move me, the needle. Let me ask you this. When they put Kramer Robertson on the 40-man roster last season, did that change your opinion on the shortstop? No. Okay. So then my answer is the exact same. This is Kramer Robertson 2.0. I, I'm really not sure for how much they love the 40-man roster. I'm not really sure why you put this player on the 40-man roster, um, but... It tells you that they're going with power in numbers at the infield position, and he's just going to be a depth piece. I think it's just one of those things where, like, what's the 
what's the harm? They didn't trade anything for him. They gave up some cash considerations. That could be five dollars for was, all we know. Was that cash going towards the payroll that's increasing this no. offseason? No, because the payroll is not increasing. What? Here is what Derek Gould tweeted Dang. out yesterday after talking to John Mosaloc. When asked about the shortstop situation, he was asked who his starter is. John Mosaloc said, without pause, that the shortstop is Tommy Edman. He also then added that it is a big spring for Paul DeYoung to show that his bat is still in a place with this team and what role it could be in because there is competition for the utility infield job as well. By the way, I think this trade is part of the competition for that utility infield job. I think that's probably what Jose Fermin does. I think it's kind of similar to, uh, what was your guy, Jose Rondon? Rodon? Well, that Rondon? guy was good. It's similar to that. Oh, in, yeah? How would in you terms do of the role that he could be. It turned out he was good because of PEDs. When you hear this <laughs> from Derek Gould, and he says definitively his shortstop is Tommy Edmond. How does that impact your belief on if or when the Cardinals will acquire or at least target one of these shortstops, Alex? I it it changes it a lot more than what I believe, but it's it's kind of skewed because it's tied into what we heard Jim Bowden say yesterday also about not being in that shortstop market. But I, I know you had a tweet thread last night, MLB Insider BK over here right. about how they've done this before, and you're not wrong, Insider BK, because they do do this where they're like, yeah. He's our third baseman. He's our first baseman. And to give you the context on what Alex is talking about, in 2021, this was January 29th, John Mosaloc said, quote, as we stand right now at third base, it's Matt Carpenter. We do like our team today, but there's still plenty of time to improve. One day later, the Cardinals traded for Nolan Arenado. Okay, so Carlos Correa will probably be a Cardinal after today. I just don't know what else, like, what is John Mosaloc going to say to that question? When he is asked, and uh, like, I'll put myself in Mo's shoes. Tanner, you ask me, what 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 the current starter is at shortstop? Who's the current starter at shortstop, Mo? Tommy Edmond. You know why? Who's going to be the starting shortstop? Like, who else would I say? Paul like, DeYoung. D- those are the, your two options. It's either Tommy Edmond or Paul DeYoung, given the current roster construction. He's Jose not going to say, well, we don't have a starter at shortstop right now. Why would he do that? That that gets up gives up any leverage that he possibly could have in this market. But what kind of leverage do you think you have with free agents if you say we don't have a shortstop? Not a ton, but you're not dealing from a place of desperation, and that's where I well, think I can look at the roster and say they desperately need. A and shortstop. I don't think a des- I think they desperately need a bat. I don't think they desperately need a shortstop, but it just so happens that this offseason the best bats are at the shortstop position. And so I think that that's what he's doing here. He always does this, where he's not going to let you know what the Cardinals are trying to accomplish. We can look at the roster and see what they are likely to do, but he's not going to tell you that. So for me, I maybe this is me just being hopeful, but I, I read this comment and I say to myself, what? I mean, what was his alternative? There was no alternative to say in the spot. I, I agree with that, but I, I think there is a partial difference from now to then because when I look at and you can correct me if I'm wrong here because I think I was just starting when when the Arnado trade was acquired um everybody knew Arnado was probably going to be available I think if I remember correctly that offseason but you didn't know what it was going to take to get him and the Cardinals basically got handed Nolan Arnado like that um, that feels like the difference because when I say that it's like okay well when I look back at that sure he could say Matt Carpenter's our starting third baseman but he probably knew that hey we're going to be in on the Nolan Arnado waters he might know that now too with the shortstop but so, I don't because- think I don't think that to me is a different scenario because again Arnado feels like it was a handed scenario where Rockies had no leverage because Alex- everybody knew they were out I know that we were doing the show together at the time, and I know that we were laughed at by multiple shows on this station because we talked about Nolan Arenado that offseason. And so I can tell you, it was not considered a surefire thing. 
There were other shows on this station I, that saying, laughed at us for talking I, I, about I him. I brought this up to Our Anthony. listeners were laughing. Randy because we, had texted me, but I brought that up to Anthony Stalter, and Stalter was like, there's no way that's happening. And I, I, rightfully so, he should have. And Michelle Smallman told me the same thing, too. And rightfully so. I mean, I was laughed at for being Mr. 95% because I found the loophole. So, yeah, I mean, it was... It was connected in terms of, yeah, the Cardinals and Nolan Arenado make sense because Arenado wanted to be a Cardinal. But it connected for five years. Exactly. <laughs> but it was to the, the point where every time it was brought up, it was, yeah, but John Moselak doesn't do those types of moves. But see, I, when I look at that scenario, maybe it's just having the hindsight of it, of Colorado was hamstrung with Arenado basically forced her hand and said, yeah. I'm not going anywhere but L.A. or St. Louis. Now, we didn't know at the time that Colorado was going to pay basically most of his contract. We also didn't know that was the dollars. case about Nolan Arenado at the time. Agreed. And I know that's what I'm saying. You didn't know that at the time. But it, that felt like a Cardinals move to me where it is, hey, we've got a superstar player that we have to move on from. Mo has made those kind of moves in the past. What I haven't seen Mo make in the past is the big-time splash free agent move on the market. And there's not a shortstop that's, that I know of that's available that is a – bat that can be brought in via the trade market, which we always talk about that the Cardinals are willing to make happen. The shortstop position, they're all on the free agent market. The Cardinals don't typically make those kind of splashes. So when Mo says, and I agree, it's really the only thing he's going to say is that, you know, Tommy Emmons are starting shortstop. When Mo says that, though, it, it, to me it feels different than when it was the, the Matt Carpenter conversation because I don't see the move that feels Cardinals-like. All the moves I see aren't Cardinals-like, and it makes me say, okay, yeah, Tommy Emmon probably is the starting choice. I mean, Nolan Arnato, for what it's worth, also had a contract of $30-plus million per year, and that didn't feel very Cardinals-like. I remember having the conversations on the show where people would say, are the Cardinals really going to have multiple infielders making $30 million per year? And I understand that part of this also, and you have to take into account, that the Cardin- or the Rockies paid part of that contract. I understand that. It doesn't change the fact that there will be multiple seasons in which the Cardinals paid $30 million plus for two corner infielders. And that is not very Cardinals-like in their history. I would also add that some of the projections are now coming out on the contracts. This is my favorite time of the year because we get a better idea of what MLB insiders, like myself, are saying about what the contracts are going to be. Xander Bogarts, based on ESPN's projections, is going to get a six-year deal worth about $28 million per year. Dansby Swanson, six-year deal worth $25 million per year. You guys know my statement on Dansby Swanson. I'm not a big fan. I don't think that would be a smart move. I do like Xander Bogarts, though. Six years is not out of the realm of the possible for the Cardinals. Now, I don't think they're going to do the eight years. I think they should, but I don't think they will for one of Turner or Correa. But a six-year deal worth $25 to $28 million, yeah, that's something that I could see the Cardinals doing. And so I don't think that it precludes them from being in that specific market. I think that it's unlikely they go to the top, but I think that second tier shortstop market, that should be well within their reach. And what we heard yesterday from John Mosellock, again, maybe this is just me being overly optimistic because Jim Bowden said the same thing. We've heard this as well from John Denton. And I, I think that there is starting to be even more skepticism on the Cardinals willingness to go to that degree for the shortstops. I don't think that we should change our expectations on what this offseason can and should be for the Cardinals. Well, I'm going to hold them to it. Yeah, I can't because he told us that the payroll was going up, and we talked about this yesterday. How are you going to do that when you're not involved in any of these bats? Because, I mean, right now you've got, what, 38 guys on a 40-man roster? And so, and I know obviously things can change, and you can DF certain players. Yeah, you can I'm trade not sure that Alex Reyes, for example, is going to be on that 40-man but roster to get, in two weeks. But to get to that that payroll you're talking about, if you're not going after one of these big players, you're going to be talking about signing five or six guys. And, I, I mean, 
I don't, I mean, I'm sure you could pull it off, but that seems to be a lot of roster maneuvering for five or six guys in the off season to be signing if you're going to get to that realm. So uh, he can say this all he wants, but I'm going to hold him to it to where he said, we have to augment this offense to protect Arenado and Goldschmidt. And to do that, you got to get one of these bats. Yeah, and I and I agree with that. And I agree that they should probably be, like the Cardinals being that second tier, that Bogarts contract you said, I agree, they should be in on that. And I, I, I think they should be in that. And I agree, we need to hold them accountable. I just don't get a sense that that's the front office, though. Like I, you're saying that they're we're saying they need to hand out basically the biggest contract in free agency that they've ever done because Fowler's the biggest, and I agree they probably should. It just does not feel Cardinals like to me. Like I, I it does point. not scream a John Mozeliak move, and that's that's why I've always been critical of the front office not being willing to make those splashy free agent moves to help supplement the team, and I'm still not convinced that they're going to do it this year. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us next to discuss what he has seen that has gone wrong. I want to ask him, what has he seen anything different in person than what we are seeing on television? What is he noticing with this team? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside. He shoots, they score! With the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. They score! Bring out the Zamboni! Refreshed by Randall's, St. Louis's number one liquor store. Visit shoprandalls.com. To the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. We always appreciate his time. Kerbs, I, I, I've been interested in hearing your thoughts on this team because I get to watch them on television. You were there in the arena the last couple of nights. I do think they have played better against Boston and Philly than what we had seen previously, but the results are what matter, and people see that they've lost eight straight, and it's fair. They, that's where we've got to be critical of them. Curves, what have you seen in the arena that either leads you to believe they're closer than maybe some believe or that has you still concerned about where this team is at right now? I think, Brandon, there's probably there's a little bit of both here. Uh, You know, I I look back over these eight games and I'm not sure, honestly, that they have played well enough to deserve to win any of the eight. And, And I so that's that's the telling thing to me. Is it's not like oh man we played well but that goalie robbed us right or that goalie stood on his head or well played really well unfortunately just special teams got you tonight um, that really hasn't been the case and so what 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 keeps me positive is the same thing over the last few games even going into this weekend uh, I think they're still getting excellent goaltending now I didn't like the last two goals that went in last night but. Like, at that point, Grice did everything he could, and the team couldn't get it themselves level. So, you know, to me, I, I think our goaltending has been just fine. That That is an encouraging thing. We have seen already this year the penalty kill go on a great run like it did through the first three or four games of the year. We've seen the penalty kill basically shut down the Edmonton Oilers. That's a positive. We've seen the power play clip at 25% until the last couple of games. They were at 25% going into that Boston game. So that's a positive. My biggest concern going into the season from an all-around team standpoint was I felt last year the team relied so much on the power play. How would 5-on-5 be? And 5-on-5, this team has been dreadful. So 
and even then, at times, we've seen examples like the Edmonton game or the second period against Boston. We, we've seen where they, they can play that style of hockey. They just haven't put it together. So um, I'm bullish to some degree and confident that not only can they get out of this but really turn this season around in a great way because of the talent. And we, we, we've seen them show they have the ability to play that way. I'm nervous because we haven't seen them be able to do that consistently game in, game out through 11 games. Curbs, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Craig Button was doing it on uh, NHL.com, and he was talking about how you know the Blues are struggling in their own end and they're getting beat in front of the net. And he compared the, the way that they play to a little bit of how Rod Brendamore goes about his team with the Carolina Hurricanes. And he said the Hurricanes like to play the suffocating game on offense so that they don't put their defense in a bad situation. Do the Blues have the ability to play that way? No. Not, not at the moment. If they have the ability, I don't think that they have the mental approach yet. And the reason I say that is what Craig Button's referring to and what you're talking about is more of the 2019 style that the St. Louis Blues did, where you're changing lines while you're in the offensive zone. Uh, you're forcing the other team to dump the puck out and then have the change, and then you're coming right back at them, getting their next line over the boards to, to have to defend. And what we've seen is that transition that's been often talked about, about this team becoming more of that transition rush team. And, well, when you're that kind of a team, you're not a hold it in the zone, go at it, grind it out, down low kind of a team. So I I think really there's that identity is still missing. I think you have guys like Ryan O'Reilly, like Braden Shen, like Ivan Barbashev that want to play that keep it in style that they know has won them a championship in the offensive zone. Now you've got some other guys that don't play that way quite as much, and it's not leading to any kind of line consistency shift in, shift out. And in talking to Craig Berube, I think it, I really just think this is as much mental right now as anything else. I mean, my goodness, you hit three or four posts in the first period. Tarasenko hits one off the outside of the post later in the game to pull you within one, and they're just so snake bit not getting the bounces that. I really think just a, a little bit of confidence would go a long way for this hockey team. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I looked this up earlier this morning. The Blues have scored 23 goals in their first 11 games of the season, tied for the fewest by a Blues team through 11 games in franchise history. Here are the teams over the last two years that have matched or been below 23 goals in their first 11 game. Last year's, it was the Canadians and the Coyotes. The year prior, it was the Red Wings and the Ducks. All four of those teams finished the season with fewer than 60 points on the year. What does that tell you about where the Blues are at currently? Well, the difference is, well, it it tells you that it's a really bad start, right? I mean, you can't, listen, you, you, you cannot just turn around and wash this stink of a start off you. You got to earn your way out of it and, and grind it out. But there's a couple of things to that, Brandon. Uh, one, uh, one is that the talent on this team, the talent, just a pure individual talent on this team, is better than the individual talent you have on all those other four teams you mentioned. Right? So, again, we're watching that game last night, and, and, and we're watching, I think it might have been Justin Falk bringing the puck up the ice, and he goes to pass to Vladimir Tarasenko. And it's a it's an eight foot pass, a six foot pass, and the pass missed him by three feet wide, right? 
We're, we're, we saw Colton Pareko bring the puck up the right wing. The two forwards are blowing through the neutral zone, and I haven't had a chance to talk to the coaches yet to find out, hey, is this a play where he's supposed to dump it in? But he gets cut off before the red line. The two forwards had no idea what had happened to the puck, and they're way out of position coming back. We saw Nick Letty behind the net, and, and it just gets stolen from him. And, and it, These are things that you don't see happen to these players. And so that's the real conundrum of what, what they're dealing with. The, so that, to me, is the difference between the Blues this year and, and those four teams. I think I've got a better comp for you, Curbs. If you, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but just yeah. c- continuing down this vein, 16-17, the L.A. Kings. Now, you remember three years prior, they yeah. had won the Stanley Cup. They were coming off of a first-round exit in the playoffs that year. The year prior, guess what? They had 102 points. Well, they were also a team that fed into this mix where they had 23 or fewer goals in their first 11 games. They finished the year uh, better than the teams that I had just mentioned by quite a quite a wide margin, but missed the playoffs. They had 86 points on the year, finished the year 39, 35 and eight. Does this feel kind of like where the Kings were after their run in the Stanley Cup where they had the Stanley Cup final team two straight or two out of those three years? And then they went through a little bit of a, a weird spell where the team was trying to hang on to what it was. Does it have some of that feel to it to you? You know, you know the team that had that it, it does, and this is where I was going with this. Like the, the the team that this has the feel for me on right is the two thousand seven two thousand eight Tampa Bay Lightning. You go back to when the Tampa Bay Lightning won their first Stanley Cup, and then the next two years they lost in the first round of the playoffs, and the year after that was oh seven oh eight. They missed the playoffs. And not only did they miss the playoffs, they finished dead last. That's the year that they chose Steven Stamkos first overall. Three picks after that, the Blues took Alex Petrangelo in 2008. And bring that up because you still had a heck of a core of players with Tampa. That was a team that just had this anomaly of a cruddy season that just didn't make any sense for the talent that they had. And next thing you know, Steven Stamkos is coming in as a first overall pick. And he's learning from Stanley Cup champions like like Martin St. Louis, like Vincent LeCavalier. And you look at that and you're like, oh, okay. And then three years after that, they're back in a conference final. A couple years after that, it's a Stanley Cup final. This one feels a little bit more like that one where you could tell the Kings were on a downward turn. I mean, the Blues are coming off of a season, Brandon, where they had the 920 goal scorers. You had an 82-point player. You had three, four players over 70 points. This this one is a little bit more to me. It, it's a very good comparison, by the way, the, the LA Kings one. I think it's a little bit more to me, uh, the the one of the uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm not I'm not so sure. I probably I'll get somebody texting me on this one, but uh, <laughs> I'm not. Listen, let's let let let's play out a good and a bad. I think that this team has enough talent to really turn a corner. And I mean, I as, as easily as they've lost eight in a row, I think this team could be the kind of team that wins 10 in a row. All right. I do believe you could see that kind of streak or they could easily reel off five or six. You know, if we, if we don't want to go as far as 10, the flip side is, is it with the core that they have under contract, as many of these guys, and you know, look, as much as sometimes career years are going to be good years, bad years could all also be as much of an anomaly on the other end. Right. With this kind of core, would it be all that bad if the Blues wound up with a really high draft pick? Nope. To me, the worst-case scenario, and we're way too early for this to play itself out, but the worst-case scenario would be you miss the playoffs by two points. Agreed. Yep. You know, and, and, you're back, and you're back still drafting in that, you know, 14, 16, 
you know, well, it wouldn't be 16. You'd admit, well, it could be, but you know, you're, you're back drafting somewhere in there. So to me, to me, it'll get to the point, and I don't think we're there. I think you got to get to the quarter pole and see what happens here. But um, uh, to, to me, there's a whole bunch of different scenarios, and I'm not sure even a bad scenario is a worst case thing for the long term future. Because if you did, if it did go south for one year, you've got the core to bounce right back into it. I'll, uh, you know, look at look at Vegas. Missed the playoffs last year, you know, and 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 is absolutely going. To look at what the New York Islanders could potentially do. It's 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 today's NHL, which is very different than what it was even just 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, the worst place to be is in the middle. I, I'm totally with you there on that. And curves, I, I want you to know, I've been calling all along. This thing, it, it, the the streak is over on Saturday in Vegas. It's going to be something that nobody saw coming. They're going to play their best game against Vegas in Vegas, and then they're going to beat Colorado. And then they're going to win three more straight. So that streak that you're talking about, it's coming. It's just it's going to come in, in a spot where people don't anticipate it. We appreciate the time as always, Curbs. Thank you. Sounds like a good plan, guys. I'll take whatever wins we can get. But I'd rather start this new streak on Thursday. Yeah, well, I can't promise you that. It'll start on Saturday. See you, okay. Curbs. All right. All right. Okay, I'll take the guarantee. All right, I'll take a guarantee. All right, guys, have an awesome weekend. Take it easy. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes, I want to hone more in on what we were just mentioning there. What does it look like when a team starts this poorly offensively? I looked up the last about 12 teams that have done this early on in the season. Hopefully it gives us a little bit of context. And there's at least one team in there, Alex, that I think can give us some optimism. About 11 others that don't. We'll get into that coming up at 12 o'clock. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 503. Hey guys, would you like to see the Cardinals dip their toe in the international market for somebody this offseason? Ho ho ho. I am so glad you asked. Water's cold. I'm out. I'm not swimming there. I've got a name for you guys, and I apologize. I'm definitely going to butcher this one. Masataka Yoshida. If you're not familiar with this man's work, he's a left-handed outfielder. He hit 335 last year with an OPS over 1,000 at 21 home runs. And how about this? Listen to these splits. 80 walks in 21 strikeouts last season in the Japanese League. He won the batting title in both 2021 and 2020. He finished second in his league this year in batting average. I I have no idea what the contract is going to be for a guy like this coming from the Japanese league. And there is clear and obvious risk for a guy that is five foot eight, 175 pounds and hits for a little bit of power to see if that will translate to the big leagues. But... He's 29 years old. He is expected to be posted by his Japanese league team at some point during the offseason. Teams will have 30 days at that point to bid on his services. If it is a somewhat reasonable contract, guys, is that a outside the box type of a move that you would be interested in seeing the Cardinals make? He's hit over 320 in each of the last five major or big league seasons in which he has played. Would I be interested in it? 
Probably not. Would the Cardinals be interested in it? Absolutely. I think this is a Cardinals move. Um, I just, I'd be worried that they make that move and say, well, we did our offense. We upgraded our offense. It's kind of what they did with, um, with KK when they were looking for pitching. Granted, KK was good that first year and it didn't work out the rest of the way. Pitching's different than hitting, in my opinion, and you might strike gold with one of these, but you also might get absolutely nothing out of it. So I want a little bit more assurance if I'm going for offense. So I would say I'm out on this. Yeah, I would be out on this too because I think he's going to get a pretty good contract, and I don't – there's more example of guys like him that come over here to the Major League Baseball and just don't work out. Now, there are some that have worked out big time, like Hideki Matsui, uh, Ichiro – uh, Shohei right now. That's pretty good. But I think there's a lot more cases where guys don't work out. Like, I remember Hassan Kim, who's over in San Diego, was supposed to be this star shortstop, and he's and been be fair, fine. He, he also came from the KBO, which is a lower-level league than the than the league that this guy's coming over That's from. That's fair, but again, he was supposed to be a guy that was supposed to come over and Definitely. be a star, and he hasn't been. He's been fine. He's been a solid piece. I, I just fear that he's not going to play up to the contract that he's probably going to get. So I is it a Cardinals move? Absolutely, it's Cardinals move because feels like every year they go and get somebody from over the, over in Japan or Korea from one of those leagues. I'm just not sure he's a guy that they should be interested in because of the contract he's going to get. And for context, Ha Sung Kim, when he came over, he signed a four-year deal worth $28 million. Um, he also had a an, an option on the back end worth $7 million. So it was a $7 million per season type of a contract for him. If that's what it takes for this guy, I, I think I would be interested now, this can't, as you mentioned, Alex, if this is their only move in the offseason and this is their way to say, hey, we improved the offense, I, that's not the way that I would like to see it. But I think it's an interesting way to go about it, to be a little bit more creative, and maybe that ends up uh, solving some of their outfield questions. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Alex, if the Blues continue to play like this, when do you think they would consider selling on guys like Tarasenko, Riley, Barbashev that are expected to hit free agency next year? probably around Christmas time. Uh, Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast talked about kind of 2018-19 season, and he said around Christmas time was when Doug basically told all of the other GMs were open for business. Some GMs have already probably started stating that they're open for business. Like I was just reading a piece this morning, uh, the Vancouver Canucks have basically told teams like, hey, we're willing to listen to offers. Um, on who? Pretty much everyone, I think, for them. Do so they have a guy named Bo Horvat? They got a they got a guy named Bo Horvat who's uh, scoring goals like crazy this season. He's a goals. free agent. But I I, I think would if, you do that? Would you trade for Bo Horvat? I would and absolutely. Sign but you're him gonna have to resign him. Yeah, I would because I I think Bo Horvat. I mean, what is he? He's 26 years old, 27 years old, 27, 27. So I mean, you got a guy who's probably going to be in his prime. Who's a goal scorer? Who's a centerman? Um, it's a change of scenery for both teams, but I, I still think the Blues, despite what many believe that this is a lost season, the Blues and Doug Armstrong are going to be holding out hope that they can get this righted. Um, but I would say probably around the beginning to middle of December where they have that holiday break and then the winter freeze. I would I would imagine around that winter freeze in December is when they're going to basically tell people like, hey, we're open for business. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved with that. But coming up next... What does it look like when teams start the season like the Blues have with a historically weak offense? We'll give you some of the history and see how it applies to the Blues coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. I, I don't mean to laugh, but Saad loses the puck. Teresinka lost his glove. Mikola just tripped on. I mean, no one's. I, I don't know what the else to say. I mean, it's hard to explain what's going on right now. Uh, it's tough. And the Blues have lost eight straight and are coming home and are going to need some home cooking and support on Thursday against San Jose. Blues have lost eight straight. It is a historically bad stretch for them. The worst stretch in terms of an eight-game stretch in franchise history. They're also the first team, Tanner mentioned this earlier today with us, in NHL history to win their first three games and then lose their next eight. So this is is something we've just never seen before. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, the offense is what I want to hone in on here because we all know this team has defensive issues, and that's not just on the defensemen. The forwards have also been a problem in their own zone. So we can talk about that, and we have talked about that a lot. The scoring is what is most surprising to me because we saw some defensive issues last year, even after they got Nick Letty, where they have the turnovers in their own zone. And they just they don't have the guys that are going to push players out of the front of the net. So the Blues have scored 23 goals for, through their first 11 games. That is tied for the fewest goals by a Blues team through 11 games in franchise history. The last time they scored this through this few through 11 games was 1967. So it's been a minute, to say the least. I wanted to go through, Alex, and look at, okay, what can history tell us, not just with the Blues' recent history, but also just the NHL, about teams that score this rarely in their f***ing games. Here are some of the teams that popped up over the last five years. Go through these quickly, and you can tell me if there's any that immediately stand out to you. Last year, it was the Canadians and the Coyotes. They finished with 55 and 57 points on the season, respectively. First and second pick overall in the draft. Those teams are also expected to be bad. The year prior, it was the Red Wings and the Ducks. They scored 48 and 43 points, respectively. The year before that, once again, it was the Red Wings. They were tanking in this stretch, so that wasn't a huge surprise. They finished with 39 points on the year. Whoa. The year before, the, uh, that same year, it was the Dallas Stars, who you might remember, this was during the pandemic season, and the Stars ended up going to the Stanley Cup that year. They finished with 82 points. If you are optimistic about the Blues, that Stars team that started off so slow, and then that was the year they fired Montgomery, right? Fired Montgomery, and then, of course, that was the pause in the season, and then the bubble play. That was That's the team that you point to to give you some sort of optimism. In 2019, it was the LA Kings. They finished with 71 points. 2018, it was the Canadians again. Once again, 71 points on the year. 16-17, there were three teams that did this. It was the Kings, the Avalanche, and the Canucks. The Kings finished with 86 points. Again, that's another one that you could point to that gives you a little bit of optimism. The Avs had 48 points that year. Woo, buddy. And the Canucks had 69. Moral of the story, in the last five years, the only teams as horrible offensively as the Blues have been that ended up going on to be just reasonable teams over the course of the season were the Stars in 2020, and the LA Kings in 2017. Alex, what do you make of that information? Man, um, I, I don't see. I it's hard to judge that Dallas Stars team because the coaching fire in the middle of the season, and they were kind of one of those on the bubble teams in the bubble, and then they got in, and then they went on that run. But you still can't discount it. I just you look at the rosters that those teams had. 
and they've got guys that had more experience that knew how to get out of that trial and tribulation than what the Blues have right now. Like, they've got guys who have been there before and the O'Reillys and the Shens and the Parecos and the Falks, but you also have a lot of younger players that are trying to figure this out, whereas the Dallas Stars, I mean, that was a pretty massive veteran-led team. Uh, the same can be said about that L.A. Kings team that they had. So That's the team that I think is the most comparable to what we're seeing right now with the Blues. Yeah, and, and I mean, even that L.A. Kings team, we went back and looked at it. Is that the one where Jonathan Quick was out for the majority of that season? It was, but that shouldn't impact your goal scoring. The, the, the year before, they finished with 102 points. The year before that, 95. The year before that, 100, and they won the Stanley Cup. The year before that, they it was a, a shortened season, so can't really take a whole lot from that. And the year before was 2012 when they won the cup again. So this is a team that had gone Stanley Cup final, conference final, Stanley Cup final, missed the playoffs once as a one-off in that shortened season, and then lost in the first round. And then that next year is when it just all went to hell in a handbasket. That's kind of where the Blues are currently. And and you know what's so weird about that? that, that, And that uh, was under Sutter. That season with the LA Kings, the you said it was the 2018-2019 season? No, 16-17. 16-17. Okay, sorry. So because if you look at 16-17 to 17-18, like they didn't didn't really have massive roster turnover. Like it was still the same group of people that yep. they had on their team. I mean, you still had the Jeff Carters, you had the Ange Kopitars, the Dustin Browns, the Tyler Toffoli's, the Drew Doughty's. Like you had the same team. So it's not like you had where you plucked a massive player out of it like the Blues did with um with with uh with David Perron. So I, I don't know, like you look at that and you see how those teams finished and you're like, boy, okay, maybe there's some optimism, but a majority of these Examples you're looking at and you're saying, ooh, that might be where the Blues fall into play. But like, I think I would side closer to the LA Kings than I would the Dallas Stars in that bubble season. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I lie on this as well. It's it's just so strange that it's fell, fallen off this this quickly for the Blues offensively. I I thought they might take a step back this season. I was probably of of us the two of us more pessimistic offensively than you were, but. I didn't see this coming, man. I I didn't see them being the worst offense in the NHL. And so it begs the question, like, okay, so the the Kings kind of got out of it eventually. The Stars team that we talked about, they got out of it that season. The Stars went about it in a way that I don't expect the Blues to. They fired their coach and the the season turned around. How do the Blues get out of this? (laughs) If they're going to, what does it look like in your mind? Honestly, I, I I don't think I have an answer for that. I mean, I would love to sit here and say it's going to look like, you know, one guy going out there and dropping the gloves and getting in the face of the team. And then they turn it around, you know, Robert Bortuzzo fighting Zach Sanford at practice. I don't think that's going to make a difference. It's not like these guys aren't trying because the narrative of the games is the same. The first period, if you go back through the midst of this losing streak, go all the way back to that Montreal Canadiens game. The Blues are the better team, at least looking at it, watching it, the eye test in the first period. Montreal, the L.A. Kings, the New York Islanders, the Boston Bruins, the um, last night against the Flyers. Like You're looking at that reasonably saying, okay, it's a one-goal deficit or it's a tie game or the Blues are by up one, and you're thinking, all right, they're in this. And then it's just they fall apart as soon as one thing goes wrong with them. It's what we talked about last year with Jordan Bennington. I think the only way for them to find a way out of this is if guys – 
play uncharacteristic to what they've played in the midst of this eight game losing streak. And like the the funny thing, man, is it's not the offense that's changing in the first period. It's the defense, because in the first period, they have scored eight goals so far this year. In the second period, it's seven. In the third period, it's seven. Their offense has been the same from start to finish. It's been bad in every period in which they have played so far this year. But you look at what they're doing defensively. The first period, they've given up six goals on the year. They're coming out and they're they're playing the way that Craig Burby wants them to. They're structured. They have the physicality. The four check is there. They're cycling. Every, it looks like Blues hockey for a period. In the second period, they've given up 21 goals. And in the third period, they've given up 16. What changes? That That's what I can't understand, Alex, is this is a... Like I, one of the guys that I listen to sometimes is Michael Lombardi. He's a former NFL general manager. He's with the Patriots for a long time. And he talks about other certain football teams that are like 40 minute teams where they can keep a game close for 40 minutes. But by the end, ah, the other team's just going to be able to pull away right now. The blues are a 20 minute hockey team. They can do pretty well in that first period. And sometimes they're a 30 minute hockey period where they come out of the second period. Even I think last night was maybe a little bit this way. Come out early in the second period. They, they have a little bit of a push. But then something happens, whether it's a bad goal that goes in their net or they don't get a power play uh, goal on their end or there's a bad penalty and they're on the PK and they allow another goal, whatever it is. And then it just avalanches from there on. them. You know what I think? And JR, Jeremy Rutherford just tweeted this out about an hour ago. Um, and, and what I think it is, is they don't, they don't know how to reset. They don't know how to reset after they give up a goal. Uh Columbus Blue Jackets, the Blues allowed two goals in 18 seconds. These are all even strength goals. Uh, Seattle, two goals in three minutes and five seconds. Nashville, three goals in 524. Mm. Montreal, two goals in 40 seconds. L.A., three goals in 615. Islanders, three goals in 1004. Philly, three goals in 946. They don't know how to reset. They don't know how to see something happen to them where a goal goes in. And a perfect example, I think, is that Islanders game. 14 seconds in, that goal goes in. And then it's just we forgot everything that we did in the first period because now what we're doing is someone's trying to knock down the door and we're just putting everybody against the door to try and hold it up still. And you're not you're not going about your business the way that you were in the first period because you give up a goal, it's a 1-1 hockey game 14 seconds in against the Islanders. If you keep playing that you did in the first period, you're going to create more scoring chances. But now it's, well, we can't score goals. They just scored a goal. Now we got to find a way to stop them from scoring more goals. And by that time, you're creating turnovers. You're playing in your own zone. You have no effect to forecheck. It's one and dones. And now you're throwing your goaltender out to dry. Whereas if you're back to where you usually are, where it's okay, we just gave up a goal, go out there and just push once again, you're going to create the scoring chances. And, and they don't really have a line that becomes a tone setter either. Like how often do we talk about after they score where it used to be Brew, we'd throw out that fourth line and continue to set the tone. Or if they got scored against, he'd throw out the fourth line. He did that early on in the season, I think in the first three games. He mentioned how he liked to throw the fourth line out there after the Blues score or after they gave up a goal. They don't have that line anymore. They don't have a tone-setting line to where, okay, we just gave up a goal. Now let's go to this line and let's get back to the point that Alex is making of, okay, let's get back to our game. Let's continue to add that pressure. They don't have that this year. And I think part of that is, one, maybe they just don't have the players on the roster to do that. Or, two, it's because they keep juggling the line so much because they're trying to get the offense going that everything is just being misplaced. And they can't get a line combination that fits well enough to come with that identity to we gave up a goal. Now it's time to respond. Let's get back to our game. They just don't have that. See, it's not even the line combinations for me anymore. Like about a week ago, I probably would have said that because I felt like that's true. But like, look at last night. I mean, you give up, 
You lose the face-off in your own zone. Your player tries to skate it out in Pavel Buchnevich. He goes backwards, turns the puck over to Colton Pareko, who loses the puck and then gives up the goal back door on Thomas Grice. And Pareko was trying to, this is going back to, they're all trying to do a little too much. Pareko mm-hmm. was trying to do, and wasn't quite a stretch pass, but he was trying to go like. He's doing an outlet pass. Yeah, and it was, there was a, there was a defenseman right between him mm-hmm. and the forward that was, Potentially going to go on a breakaway. And this was with like 12 seconds remaining in the period. The Ryan O'Reilly goal against the Islanders where you were, Mikolas coming out of the penalty box and yep. you're going right up the ice. I understand what you're doing. 100%. You're but it's got to go off the boards. Exactly. Or you just need to say, you know what? We're not playing well enough right now for me to do that. I just need to get it out of the zone and get a line change. And the problem is like when they're doing what we're talking about here, now you're thinking and now it's too late and now the puck has been turned over in your own zone. So maybe it doesn't look the same way that it did last night with Pareko or that it did previously with Ryan O'Reilly. And now it just looks ugly like it has at times with like, for example, uh, Jordan Cairo. And they, there's too much thinking going on, and they're in their own heads, and I don't know the way out of it. I, Except for when they play the Vegas Golden Knights, and they're going to win that game. They're going to beat the Colorado Avalanche, and then you look at the set schedule, and everything starts to open up. Chicago, Washington, who hasn't been playing very well this year, Anaheim twice, and then you got Buffalo and Tampa, Florida. We'll talk I, about that when we get there. But this team's about to go on a five-game winning streak, and I can't wait to see it. I, I think the way you get out of this, and I, the rut, is probably you win a game you're not supposed to win. Like, that just feels like, and I know that's, like, so cliche to say. You had your opportunity Sorry, against Boston. six-game winning streak. It's coming. But, Curbs mentioned it, and I'm with him. No. I, I, I just, I, I think if you're trying to find an answer, this team has no confidence. That, that, that If that's the only... That's the only reasonable explanation I can come up with. And if you don't believe me, go back and watch that first period last night. Robert Thomas had the puck on his stick, pulled it to him, and was going top shelf to an empty net. And he missed it. And as soon as he did, what did Robert Thomas do? Flung his hands up in the air and stopped skating. Yeah, it was bad body language. The, yep. the, the body language on this team has been it's the, really the, bad so far. It's this the, and that's the only comp that I can do to the 2018-19 season is when Bruby took over, he said this team has no confidence. That's where they're at right now. Coming up in 15 minutes, it sounds like this catcher could be the top option for the Cardinals. We'll tell you who that is coming up at 1230. More likely to happen is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Alex is a broken man. Yeah, a broken man. I was just like the Blues singing the Blues. Eight, eight game losing streak. Can't get too happy after that. I saw, do I that saw Jackson in the hallway coming back from the get my coffee. He said, keep it up. Keep it up, T-Bone. I said, yeah, I'll keep the good vibes since the Blues aren't. So I'm with you, man. 65780 is the air comfort thoughts. service text line for more likely to happen. Let's start with this one. Getting Tanner back into the good vibe. More likely that Nolan Gorman starts at least 40 games in, out, in the outfield this season oh. or he is traded during the offseason. Damn, talk about bad vibes. <laughs> Picking uh, up bad vibrations. <laughs> I'm going to go more likely 40 games in the outfield because I don't think they're trading him. What? That's not because he's an outfielder. That's just because I like that opportunity better than him being traded because I don't think he's going to be dumb. I'll go. He'll get traded. <laughs> I, I think if you want to make a trade for a catcher that everyone's talking about, you're not getting them unless Nolan Gorman's a part of that trade. I hate to break it, I, at least in my opinion. like you're not He making- feels like the... He's the trade piece for it. The easiest piece for the Cardinals to trade to acquire what they need. And that could be a front-end starting pitcher, or it could be the significant catcher that you're talking about. Now, if you trade with 
the Blue Jays for one of their guys. I, I don't think that they're going to be all that interested in Gorman, not because he's a bad player. He doesn't have value. He just doesn't fit what they need. It's kind of like the Cardinals. If the Cardinals are trading with somebody and the other team had a first or a third baseman to offer, well, even if they were an excellent player, just doesn't really fit with what the Cardinals are currently needing. Gorman is a strikeout power hitter. And the Blue Jays already have a ton of those guys. But the A's, yeah, he makes a lot of sense for them. And part of the reason I don't think Gorman gets dealt is how I'm starting to see this more and more. And we've had people on Jim Bowden said this yesterday. Um, I think we had somebody else say this to us. I can't remember who it was. But everybody seems to be saying that they need to go get a left-handed bat. And if I'm the Cardinals, there's not a lot of left-handed bats on the market. Now, maybe someone that's going to be traded becomes available that maybe you could look at and justify if I'm the Cardinals, I look at and go, okay, well, there's not a lot of guys that really fit what we're looking for. That's a left-handed impact bat. What can we do? We can gamble on what we have internally. And who's going to be that guy? Probably Nolan Gorman. They may be able to sell themselves on Alec Burleson being that guy if you decide to move Gorman. But I think Gorman's the guy. I mean, he's, everybody says it. He's got 30 home run pop in his bat. You don't really want to move that if unless you absolutely have to. Especially while they're still cheap. He's cost-controlled yeah. for the next few years. I, I would run it back for at least one more year to see what you've got. And I do think that they need to move him to the outfield. That their middle infields are already pretty heavy in terms of the number of options that you have internally. And with the lack of a shift, I don't know that he's going to be a second baseman. More likely to happen, the Blues get a top 10 pick or the Cardinals sign one of the top t- four shortstops. I think it's the Blues get a top 10 pick. I really I, wish I could say the shortstop. It feels likely right now that the Blues will get a top 10 pick. I mean, right now they'd have the best odds to get the first overall pick. So. Wow. Hey. Tell you? I mean, I, I think it's the top 10 pick also because I, I just I don't see a way out of this. Like you've played against incompetent teams and they've beat up on you. You played against really good teams and they I don't want to say beat up on you because you played both Boston and Philly good for one and a half periods, two periods if for Boston's game. But you still had no answers. I, I just I don't see a fix coming where all of a sudden these guys start co- scoring tons of goals and they tighten up in their own zone. And by December, if you don't got this figured out, you're going to be moving on from at least your unrestricted free agents. And you think this is bad now. What's it going to look like with no O'Reilly, Barbashev and Tarasenko if they decide to go that route? So I just I hate to say it. And I said this in 2018, 19. And look what happened. But this might be the year that the Blues turn into a, hey, we're going to get a top pick and see if we can reset. I I think it's more likely to get the top 10 pick, too, because I. I find it tough to see where they turn this around to. I'm with you 100%. And I I know it's probably early to say this. I think a lot comes down to what they do tomorrow, in my opinion. And I, they're at home. They're going against one of the worst teams that was projected in the NHL and the San Jose Sharks. And the Sharks are three points ahead of you right now. Even if they win tomorrow, it'll make you feel better a little bit. They'll still be a point behind San Jose for the worst record in, in the Western Conference still, which is hard to believe they lose tomorrow, I think I'm ready to just sound the alarm and say they're heading towards a retool and that the window is closed. Here's what you don't want to happen, and it's what Curbs mentioned. Don't be the Nashville Predators. Where the Nashville Predators did that competitive rebuild, they selected 17th overall, 30th overall, 24th overall, 11th overall, 19th overall. You got to get, if you're going to, if you're going to be in this position, you got to be a team that's selecting top five. Otherwise you're going to be what Nashville is where you're just kind of the in between all the time. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen guys more likely to happen. The Cardinals sign their next catcher or they trade for their next catcher. Let's get into that on the other side. That's the one that I want to discuss a little bit more in depth because I think it's becoming clear. He's not my top option. 
but I think the Cardinals have a clear-cut top option. We'll tell you who that is for their potential catcher answer next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think has become the clear-cut top option for the Cardinals catching situation here in just a moment. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues did announce some roster moves. I think we should spend a couple of minutes on this, Alex. Jake Neighbors is going down to the AHL. I think it's the right move. Jake Neighbors has not been the problem for the Blues this season, but if you look at any, and I mean any, of the underlying metrics, it's kind of like looking at a batted ball profile for one of the Cardinals players, and you're like, man, they... I understand they're hitting 250 right now, but the bottom could fall out at any point for that person at the plate. And then the Cardinals send him down. You know what? Who it is? It's Jake Woodford. Where Jake Woodford, you look at the numbers and it's like, hey, the ERA looks really good. I I don't understand why they keep sending him down to AAA. And then you talk to the Cardinals and they'd be like, yeah, nothing about what's happening right now is sustainable. It's kind of what it was for neighbors. The Corsi ratings, everything for him was the lowest on the team. Like any line you put him on, that was the lowest performing line at just about any given time. I think it's probably the right move. Alex, what did you make of this with Jake Neighbors being the headliner, really, that's being sent down to the AHL? Yeah, I mean, Craig Berube said yesterday that he actually really likes Jake Neighbors' game. He does a lot of the things right, and he also goes to the front of the net. The problem is he's just not getting a whole lot of shots on goal, which, look, Doug Armstrong said it in preseason. Like, if he is not a top-nine player, he'll be in the minor leagues. Doug believes in those prospects playing as top wingers and they did it with Jordan Cairo. They did it with Robert Thomas, although they kept Thomas up here, but Thomas played in the top nine with Pat Maroon and Tyler Bozak for a long period of time. They're doing right by Jake neighbors to let the kid go down and not go through a down spiral like this. Don't let his confidence get shot. Let him go be a top winger for the Springfield Thunderbirds and try and create some offense. He he's a he got demoted. If you're even going to call it that, he got sent to the fourth line last night. And he played eight twenty eight last night. He I think he played like and three shifts with, in the fourth period and without Logan Brown in the lineup. So you yeah. were down a player and you downshifted Jake Neighbors. He was essentially a guy that they clearly just. Yeah, They didn't see the value of having him on the ice. Don't take a shot at the kid's confidence. Let him go down. Let him find his scoring touch and then bring him up when he gets a little bit more confident uh, in his game. And maybe he could be a top six winger for you if you're still going through these struggles. And then the Logan Brown experiment. I mean, I, I, I was caught off guard with that because I really thought Logan Brown was going to be better than what he has been. Now, injuries don't benefit him, but the games he's played, uh, he just hasn't been that noticeable. And the Blues are just trying to find something. They're just trying to find a quick fix to this offense. Uh, Nikita Alexandrov was probably the most impressive player in preseason. One of those guys on the cusp that made it all the way. And he's got four goals and eight points through nine games for Springfield. And then you got Josh Levo, who you signed this offseason to be a NHL player for you. So it's a quick fix that you're looking for. But the, the headliner is Jake Neighbors. And I think this is the right move by the Blues to go let Jake be a top winger rather than be a fourth liner. So that's the Blues news. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up in the one o'clock hour. But Alex, I do want to talk about the Cardinals catching situation. Yesterday, we were able to have Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager on the show, and he made it very clear. He thinks Sean Murphy of the Oakland Athletics is the top option for the Cardinals. After reading, I thought it was a really good piece earlier today by Derek Gould in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I think I agree with him. I think that Sean Murphy is the guy that he's he's the total package. Good defensively, won a gold glove, also is about 15% above league average offensively. Here's what Jim Bowden said it would take to acquire 
Sean Murphy. Oakland needs are so vast that they need a quantity deal as much as they do anything else, right? So, you know, they don't need that. Oakland doesn't need to do a one-on-one deal, right? Yeah, you know, they may ask for, for Gorman, then they get a no. Okay, that's fine. But I think if they can get two or three of that next-level kind of prospect tier three, uh, and, and Oakland can get a package of three guys or four guys, I think that's the direction they're going to want to go because they just have too many needs. I think the starting point for any kind of a deal with Oakland for Murphy, I think they'll ask on Gorman, and I honestly don't know what the Cardinals' answer would be on Gorman. It, it might be yes. It, they they might be more willing to trade him than we think on the outside. But if they say no, well, the A's are definitely going to want a position player at a minimum and probably somebody that is cheap cost controlled and is ready to go at the big league level. That tends to be the profile of player that the A's prefer. I think if the Cardinals say no on Gorman, they would then change their ask to, okay, one of Newt Bar or Yepes needs to be involved in this discussion then. And again, I don't know which of those guys around the league has more value. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the answer is Newt because he showed a high high upside this year. The batted bro- ball profile for Newpar this year was excellent. You go to his baseball savant page, it's red everywhere. He's also a very good defender in right field, and he's a good base runner. He can lead off for you, and you don't feel bad about it. Lars Newpar is a good baseball player. Even if we're, Tanner, I know you're not as high on his upside as a lot of people are. I think he can be a starter. I think if he is a starter, you need a good offense around him just to make up for the uncertainty of what he's going to be long-term. But if other teams value him... I think something like Newt Bar plus Gordon Graceffo, and then maybe you have somebody else as a throw-in, like a, a lower-level pitching prospect, that is the type of three-for-one deal that I think probably would get it done for a guy like Sean Murphy. Alex, how would you feel about that being the way the Cardinals solve their catching questions? It seems like a lot. Newt Bar, Graceffo, and then the third one. Who was the third one you mentioned? Just throw, like, I'm not saying like a top-tier prospect by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the Cardinals' lower-level pitching prospects. Can I can I omit Newt Bar for Alec Burleson in this circumstance? Probably not, because Burleson doesn't have the same value. I, I mean, Sean Murphy has a lot of trade value. That's something that I think people need to come to grips with. If you're somebody that wants the Cardinals to trade for Sean Murphy, I get it. He's a very good catcher. He's good defensively, and he's been pretty good offensively over the last two seasons. Offensive profile is not all that dissimilar from Wilson Contreras, if we're being honest. But he's also young, cost-controlled, and has, I think, three more years of uh, team control under him. That is going to be hard to acquire for another team. So, yeah, you're going to have to give up something of significance, and it's going to hurt. And and it sounds like the same can be said with Toronto. Um, If you want to get one of those guys, you're probably going to have to be giving up a large noop bar in those circumstances, and it's going to hurt. I, I me personally like I, I I understand Sean Murphy is a better player when you look at the numbers than Wilson Contreras and of course he's I, I think they view him as a better defensive catcher but the whole premise of this Cardinals roster right now is you got a lot of pieces that can do a lot of different things and if you're going to trade some of those pieces to get one player I would rather than just go sign a guy who is going to add that impact but offensively also, for you. To sign Wilson Contreras, it will take away your second round draft pick. And to sign Wilson Contreras, you're talking fifteen to twenty million dollars per year, and that would not allow you to do something else. If we think that the Cardinals are going to spend money this offseason, well, then Sean Murphy at $3 million is much more affordable. I know that it's going to cost you those prospects that you're talking about, but I- most of those prospects can be replaced either I, internally or externally. I get it, but who's your outfielder next season if you're taking Lars Newtbar out of this 
projection. You got Carlson. I'm guessing they would probably run it back with O'Neal and say you get the fir- you get the starting point, and then if it doesn't go well, then you're going to be a fourth outfielder for us. I think Jordan Walker is somebody that they're going to count on going into next year. Maybe at, maybe starts in AAA, but eventually he's an option for you out there. And maybe they sign a Michael Conforto. Maybe they go out there and get a Jock Peterson, somebody else. Maybe Juan Yepes gets some opportunities. Maybe Brendan Donovan, instead of starting at second, maybe by making this trade, it allows them to spend up on a shortstop. And now Brendan Donovan has moved, maybe not full-time, but more often into the outfield. I mean, I won't say I'd be disappointed if they pull that trade off, but I would still have a lot of questions about this team going into next season if they make that trade. Yeah, I... I think if you can get them for what we just brought up, where it's Newt, Graceffo, and throw in a player, like I, I think that's a fair deal. I think that's a fair deal to go get him. My fear, though, is that his market's going to drive up because a lot of teams are looking for a catcher, and who's the first guy they're going to circle? It probably is Sean Murphy. Like I know we all throw out Wilson Contreras. I don't think Major League Baseball teams are high on Wilson Contreras. It sounds like there might be just three teams interested in Contreras, and that's the Cardinals, the Tigers, and then I can't remember. I think Astros were back in the conversation of Wilson Contreras signing. So I, I don't think his market is going to be as robust as Sean Murphy. If you've there's got the two, control. though, that's all it takes. If you've got two that really want him, that can drive up the price. Yeah, and, and when you look at Murphy, I think his price is going up as well. I think there's going to be multiple teams that are interested. Cleveland sounds like a team that's going to be interested in a guy like Sean Murphy because he's cost-controlled, get him for three years. So That's the difference is any team could reasonably acquire Sean Murphy there are going to be a lot of teams that are just out on paying 15 to $20 million a year for four years for a catcher. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think Murphy's the right deal, but you, that's if you're spending elsewhere and spending big bucks elsewhere, not just throwing numbers at it. Like if you bring in Sean Murphy, it should be because you're making a splash somewhere else, whether that be the shortstop Agreed. market or you're bringing in one of the big outfielders like Nimmo or Benintendi, but I don't think Benintendi is going to be that costly, or you're getting an ace in the free agent market. Like, if you're bringing in Sean Murphy, it needs to be because it, you're making a splash elsewhere. It shouldn't be we're bringing in Sean Murphy, and then we're going to throw the rest of the money that we have, just kind of throw it at different spots, throw it at two bullpen arms, maybe a mid-level outfielder and a mid-level uh, utility player that can come in and play for this team. No, Murphy's the guy that you acquire if you're spending big elsewhere. If not, then I think your spending big needs to be at the catcher position in Wilson Contreras because he can be an impact bat for this team. Can I go through a few of the other trade options? These are these are not all catchers, and on, none of these other guys are actually catchers. Like We've talked a lot about their options in the trade market. It's basically you get one of the Blue Jays guys or you get Sean Murphy. Those are your trade options at that position. CBS Sports put together, and these are just rumors. I want to put that out there on the front end. This is not saying that these guys are definitely going to be available, but based on their speculation, guys that maybe would make some sense if they were going to go into the offseason as being available. I want to throw these guys your way. We did this yesterday with a yay or nay. Go ahead and go into that as well. Well, Yay or nay, do you have interest in Jesse Winker? Coming off of a very down year last season with Seattle. It was his first year there, but previously was a guy that you could count on for like 25 to 40% above league average. I mean, we were talking about a guy that was a consistent 850 to 900 OPS player. He also played in a very small ballpark in Cincinnati. Yay or nay on kicking the tires for Jesse Winker, 29 years old, going to be seven, $8 million this year in uh, arbitration eligibility. I would say nay. Um, and I love Jesse Winker, but man, you're right. Uh, like crushed it in Cincinnati, goes to Seattle and barely a uh, uh, hundred OPS plus players. So I would say nay on that. I would say nay as well, just because I have concerns from a guy going from a hitter friendly ballpark to one that's not. 
And if he struggled in Seattle, what's his numbers going to look like at Bush Stadium? So I would rather sign one of the left-handed bats that's available. I would rather get Great. Conforto and take a chance of him getting back. Yay or nay on Tyler Glass now. Former all-star level pitcher. He Yay. has over the last, I, I want to put this out there, over the last four seasons, he has started a total of 39 games. All right. But in those 39 games, he's thrown 212 innings, has a 2.75 ERA, and again, 212 innings has struck out 300 batters against him. He's got a K per nine of 13 over the last four years. When he's healthy, this dude is a stud. He's coming off of, I believe, Tommy John. He threw just uh, six innings last year for the Rays. He's going to make basically nothing next year. But in the pre in the next season, he signed a weird two-year deal for like $5 million next year, 25 the year after. Yay or nay? on potentially acquiring Tyler Glass now, Alex? I I guess I, I'd have to know what the price is, but I... I they don't, they're not incentivized to trade him, so I would imagine it's going to cost you a decent Yeah, amount. so I would probably say nay then, because you're going to have to give up a lot. But, I mean, this is an ace, and I understand he's injured, but you're, you're hoping that post-Tommy John surgery, he can get back to who he was. And I mean, you want a front of the leader of the rotation, here he is. But what you're going to have to pay for him, I would say Straight nay. up Gorman for glass now. Would oh, you do I would it? do that. No. I'd do that. I'd say nay. I, I don't have interest in him because he's dealing with the injuries. You have a guy in the... You have your Tyler Glass now internally in Jack Flaherty. Now, I think Glassnell's probably got a little bit better upside than Flaherty. Agreed. But I think you have him internally in terms of having Jack Flaherty. Gambling on Jack Flaherty's health, I don't want to bring in another guy where I'm doing the same thing and it's Tyler Glass now. So I'm saying nay no matter what the cost. I think that I'm with you. I, I would probably say nay, but man, if it's if it costs me less than that, I, I'm, I've got to at least have the conversation. The upside that he brings to the table is so incredibly high, and you would have him for the next two years, and most of your rotation right now is just for this season, even if you think he's going to like have to rehab for half of the year, which is not expected. He should be good to go for the start of next season. I, I think he's a guy that I would absolutely be looking to target. And if that's all that it is, Nolan Gorman, I'm, I'm in on that. Yay or nay on Shane Bieber? Yay. We're all on yay on yay, him? Yay. Absolutely. I don't think he gets traded. I think if if... Bieber gets traded, I think it's at the deadline next year. I do not think it's this offseason because the Guardians are still believing that they can compete next year in a bad division. Yay or nay on Brian Reynolds? This is a name that I've seen brought up a good number of times. It's in the division, but I mean, I saw, we saw the Cardinals make a trade in the division last year. I saw it coming out of the meetings that uh, I think it was the Pittsburgh Pirates GM. Is it Charrington? Is that yeah. his name? I think I saw he said that they're not moving him, that they hope that they're competitive I've heard all by of that 2025. Stuff, I, if he's available, I'd say yay on this. I, I love the idea of, of this guy because I think it, it helps you defensively and it helps you offensively. I don't think he's, he's a legit center fielder. I don't think he's that impact bat that we're talking about, but I, I think he is much better than some of the other options that aren't one of those top shortstops. I think you're probably talking Win and Gorman or something like that for him, though. I mean, it's going to cost you a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm saying nay because I'm trading pieces into the division, and I know like we talk about that, but it's not like pieces like you got like in the Quintana deal where they gave up. I can't remember the guy's name. Was it Malcolm Nunez? Was that his name? The third baseman, Johan Oviedo. You're giving up significant prospect capital, and if those guys ended up hitting like you think they will, like you've mentioned a win, I don't want to potentially be trading a trade Turner 2.0 to the Pittsburgh Pirates to burn me later on in the division. So I'm saying nay. I've got one more in division. I was kind of surprised. I guess I shouldn't have been because of the the direction of this team that this guy actually might be available this offseason. Would you consider trading for Corbin Burns? It's going to cost a bleep ton. I mean, it's he would probably be, of the guys that we have discussed, the most difficult to acquire. You're talking Win Gorman plus. 
Would you look at trading for Corbin Burns, though? I mean, that's a Cy Young contender annually. He's not the one that dealt with the numbness in his fingers, right? That's that was uh, Woodruff, Woodruff, wasn't yeah. it? Okay, that's what I thought. I mean, I would consider it. I, I Win and Gorman would be tough because of what T-Bone mentioned, but, man, uh, you are getting the, the eight, and what's he got, a couple more years of control? I believe so, yeah. So Two, you, I think. you've got this guy covered for at least the front of your rotation moving forward. As long as it's not Jordan Walker in this deal, I'd probably say yay. I think I'd say nay again because it's within the division, and I don't want to give up some significant pieces to really the team that, though they're getting ready to probably enter a rebuild, the team that's probably been the most consistent over the last decade, two decades, and staying competitive with you in the Milwaukee Brewers. I know the Cubs had that stretch for a while, but before that they were bad and they're bad again. So I would say nay. I, I think Milwaukee has a really good understanding of how to build up a team and do it pretty quickly. I don't want to give them really good assets in a deal. As much as I love Corbin Burns, I don't think I'm willing to give up the assets it's going to take within the division. That's where I'm at as well. And the only reason I'm bringing up any of these names, again, is because CBS Sports came out with their article on the top trade candidates that could maybe become available going into the offseason. If I was going through and saying the guys that I think would maybe make the most sense for the Cardinals, I would say it's Sean Murphy, Tyler Glass, now Shane Bieber. Those would be the three that I would like put a, a star next to. The other guys, it, maybe maybe you consider it, but I, I think it's very unlikely, whether it's because it's in the division or because the players are just going to cost more than what I would be willing to trade for them. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com, but next, the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com joins us coming up here in about five minutes or so. Tanner, what do you got for us today? You guys remember the stress of taking the SAT and the ACT? I, I don't do. know which one you guys did. But I did the ACT. We live in Missouri, Tanner. I did the SAT. Did you? Yeah. That's why That's why I had to ask. I'm assuming which you did. did the ACT? I, I guess. I, what was that? That was freaking <laughs> did you 13 guys, years your, ago. Was your score over 1,000 or was it in like the 18 to 35 range? Or the 10 range, whatever you were. I don't even remember. I okay. think I took this in 2008, guys. Uh, what did you did you yeah, guys I know take you it twice? Were in school or like yeah, I took it like then. three times. Okay, I took it twice. I, I think. took it twice. I know. Now imagine. You... I think I had a decent grade after the first one, but I wanted to try better. And I think the second time was actually worse than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know the stress of getting ready for the SAT and all that. Now imagine you take the SAT, and then where they are shipping it away to get graded. Uh, it, it falls out the back of the truck, oh, and you no. have to redo the whole SAT. Because nah, that's man. what happened in El, El Paso. Nah, I man, would I say you that. have to give yeah. me slightly better than yeah. whatever my last score was. Yeah, you need to put me on a curve going into this mm-hmm. because that's your fault, not mine. Yeah, because, if I got a 30 on the last one, I'm now at a 32. Uh, I'm with you that's there. That's the curve you're going with? Only yeah. two? I mean, Two's quite a bit in the No, ACT. I know, but I'm yeah. holding them ransom for for messing up. I'm going I'm, at least at least six. I mean, the I won't off a the scale. perfect score is smart. 36, so you can't well, go much higher. Yeah, you can. <laughs> six. Yeah, I I would lose it if I found out that because I hate I hate doing like big tests like that where you have to do the test like oh. for the whole day. Absolutely hate it. And if I spend a whole day doing that and stressing out and honestly trying not to fall asleep during the English language part, probably why I struggle with the theirs. Uh 
and you guys lose a test because it falls out the back of a truck, I'm done. I'm not taking it again. You give me the best grade possible. Mm -hmm. Let's just use my, like, you look at me, give me my kind of my IQ test just from, like, look at me. Going, you know what? You look like a smart fella. We'll give you the 30. You struggle with which one would you struggle more, the yours, the theirs, or the twos? Uh, That's a good question. Probably the theirs, mostly because I'm not paying attention. I type just real quick and put E-R-E. Every time I ask him about a your, he goes, you are? No. So at least you can cross <laughs> that one up. And the other two, you've got a 50-50 chance, and somehow it's like me picking football games. Always guesses wrong. Literally two of the three have contractions to where you know that that's not the one that you have to use. And the other one is a number. Getting better, man getting better coming up in 15 minutes do the cardinals have any candidates for a contract extension this offseason bt mentioned one yesterday that piqued my interest we'll get into that coming up at 115 but next greg wasinski of espn.com here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line when Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com is on the other side of the line. Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. Wish it was under better circumstances here in St. Louis. How you doing today? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the rest of the Central Division thinks, thinks things are going great. Uh, but uh, but uh, the St. Louis, I can understand why uh, there might be some consternation right now. So we're in the middle of it. Greg, we, we talk about this crap every single day, and it's basically been the same story over and over. So if you've watched any one of the last eight games for the Blues, you pretty much know what's happened, what's gone wrong for them. What's gone wrong in your eyes for this team? Well, for me, the, the, it, it starts offensively, obviously. Like, you know, last year they rode that wave of scoring in this league, at, you know, which was at historic levels, like a 20-year, 25-year high. Um, to their best offensive season on average as a franchise. I mean, they, they got crazy great performances out of, you know, Cairo and Thomas and, and, and others in that lineup. And then this season happens, and I, was, I knew that they were last um, in, in goals per game. I, I remembered that. And then I actually went and checked what that actually meant before we hopped on the phone today. And they're almost a half a goal worse than the 31st team. <laughs> In offense, God. the Columbus Blue Jackets, like, like that's how bad it is right now. They're averaging 2.06 goals per game. And I got to tell you, man, like the way that this league is going right now, offensively, uh, where every night you're seeing, you know, low scoring baseball games, basically to be averaging two goals a game offensively in this league right now, that's, that's a trick. Like you've got to work hard to be that bad offensively. And the blues have somehow found a way. You know, the the narrative with this team, Greg, is, well, you know, it's still early in the season. You're 11 games in, you know, they'll find a way to turn it around because it's on the offensive side. I, I, for me personally, it's kind of at the point where it's hard to continue to preach patience with this team because there's just there's no good feel to where you're like, yeah, they can get back to that level because it has been the same story. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and And so when you start to see those conditions repeat, you start to wonder what you need to do to, to change the narrative. And I mean, you know, I, the, the, the easiest and, and, and simplest thing for most teams would be to fire the coach. I don't know if that's necessarily the smartest idea for the Blues. Um, although there, there's an interesting philosophical discussion I had with my friend Jeff Merrick recently about this idea of, 
you know, the Blues sort of pushing in a different direction as a franchise, no longer being the big, hulking, bullying team that we've come to expect through the years from them, and, and sort of becoming the team of, of, of Thomas and Cairo and becoming a bit more of, offensive. To it. And, you know, whether Baruby is the guy to kind of shepherd that transition, and if not, then, you know, which guy could it be? It's an interesting discussion, but I wouldn't necessarily pin this on him. The, the, the pieces just aren't fitting right now, and, and um and I don't know if it's a, a situation where Doug Armstrong needs to make a trade to shake things up and, 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 and mix up the, the, the chemistry or, or what have you. But like you said, I mean, after you see the same narrative play out like the fifth time for a Blues loss, you start to wonder exactly, you know, what, what this team needs to do to get out of that lane. Real quick, Greg, as a follow-up on the coach, because I see it all the time on my post-game shows, hearing people say, fire Baruby, the game plan isn't correct, they can't play this way anymore. And my follow-up to that is, you fire Craig Baruby, who do you want as your head coach? Because yeah. it's it's not like there's five guys sitting out there that make a ton of sense. And if you fire Craig Baruby in the middle of the season, Craig McTavish is taking over as the head coach. Correct. Yeah, exactly. They're going to keep it internal. They're not going to make some sort of a, a wild swing, um, you know, unless unless all of a sudden Joel Quenville is eligible to coach in this league again, which I don't believe is happening anytime soon. <laughs> um so you're right. I mean, essentially, uh, the solution is going to probably come internally anyway. And, and the other thing, too, that I kind of find interesting about the idea of, okay, do the Blues need to kind of become a different team? It's, it's not like the NFL, where if you want to change up your, your, your team style and play more offensively, you go hire the best offensive coordinator that, that's, that's not a head coach yet, right? Like, that's an easy thing to do in the NFL. The NHL is a little bit different. Like, we know who the defensive coaches are. If you want to like dial it back, you go get yourself a, 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 a John Tortorella or a, a Barry Trotz, you know. But the offensive guys are few and far between. It might be John Cooper and Bruce Boudreaux, and that's it, you know. Like as far as guys that really know how to play that style. So I don't know. It, it would take a lot of sort of uh, investigation to really find someone that can transition this team to something different. Um, but in the meantime, you know, this is the roster that Doug Armstrong's built. It's, it's a team that I think a lot of people felt was going to be much better than they are and they kind of have to figure themselves out right now. If they don't, Greg, and this is kind of the the worst fear for a lot of Blues fans, is that even if they quote-unquote figure it out, it becomes like a 500 type of a figure it out before Christmas-ish, and then you're still towards the bottom of the Central Division. Mm -hmm. What can they do? Like, What are the options for them to try to big picture get out of this thing and not just in the individual season of 2022? Right. Well, that's one of the things I've always really respected about Doug Armstrong. It's like he, he has a good sense of what his team is. Remember that time when they made the Paul Stasny trade with Winnipeg? It was at a time when people were kind of stunned. They're like, hey, you're within spitting distance of a playoff spot. Why would you make that deal? And he's like, I don't think we're that good. <laughs> you know, like we need, we need to kind of like get what we can get for some of these guys. Cause I don't necessarily think we're that good. And uh, so I don't, I don't think if, the, if this is the Blues team, that we're stuck with. And this is the Blues team that's going to maybe scratch and claw their way and not pull out the miraculous second-half rally like they had when they won the Cup, but maybe get better and, 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 and you know rally to be a wild-card contender, let's say. I still think he's going to take a serious look at this roster around the trade deadline and say, okay, well, I don't think they're that, that good, so I better get what I can get for Ryan O'Reilly if I don't think he's going to be back. I better get what I can get for Vladimir Tarasenko if I don't think he's going to be back. Like I, I trust Doug Armstrong implicitly more than I trust a lot of GMs in this league to understand the hand that he's, that he's been dealt and, and then, you know, play the cards accordingly. 
you know, Greg, and I hate to go down this path, but I mean, when you start off this bad, it's hard to not look at it and say, like, would it be the worst thing in the world for this team to get a top draft pick if it comes to that? I mean, Chris Kerber on our broadcast talks about it all the time. The last time the Blues drafted a forward in the top 10 uh, of the first round was Rod Brendamore. So it's been a long time. <laughs> but I, I know it's, it's insane to say that, but I guess my question is, is it possible to do what David Poyle said with the Nashville Predators and do like a competitive rebuild where it's only a couple of years? Or if you go down that path, you're going down a path where it could suck for three to five years. Yeah, but I, like, aren't they, if depending on what happens with O'Reilly and Tarasenko, like they're kind of kind of be there anyway, right? Like they're going to have to kind of maybe take a step back to make a leap forward. Um, based on, you know, the, clearly they're, they're going to be the team of Thomas and Cairo going forward, right? And they're going to have to reevaluate Pareko at some point, too, because um, I think he's up in a couple of years, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. He's so, got eight years left. <laughs> oh, wait, he's got eight years left? Yeah, man, I, I, thought, I thought he was one of those guys that was headed to it. So they, they put him, that right, right, they signed him that long contract. Yeah. Thank you for the correction there. Um, well, again, like when it comes to reevaluation, they got to reevaluate him anyway. It will be for contractual reasons, but it'll be yeah. because of, you know, whatever this team ends up being. So, yeah, it may happen anyway, is my point. You know, it may happen anyway where you are, um, you know, having to really kind of reevaluate things and, and maybe take a step back to make a leap forward. But to the people that are, that are like, hey, you know, if, if you know you don't have it, you know, better to just like have it all fall apart and, uh, and, and think about the draft instead, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, this is the year to do that. It is an extraordinarily um, top-heavy draft. Um, uh, there, there are players that you're going to be able to get um, that are going to be instant impact players uh, at the top of this draft. Obviously, Connor Bedard being the, the, the top name. So, if you're ever going to pick a year where you're like, we just don't have it, and, and let's kind of like make sure we don't have it to ensure that we get a high draft pick in order to kind of transition to the new thing, like this would be the year to do it. So, I'm sure there's going to be not only that temptation for Doug Armstrong, but temptation for other teams too to do the exact same thing if, if things aren't working out. Like, I mean, and they're not alone. I mean, Vancouver, Ottawa, you know, other teams in this league right now are Nashville. I mean, that are also kind of like not getting off the blocks the right way that might be considering the same thing within the next month. Greg, these are obviously big picture questions, um, and they might be more off-season questions than they are in-season. But just out of curiosity, because you have more of a pulse on the, the national landscape than we do here locally, for guys like, and I don't even like talking about this because he's my favorite player on the team, but Braden Shin, who has a contract that extends four more years after this year, and he's 31 years old, that's at $6.5 million per year. Or their defensemen, where they've got Krug and Falk signed through 2027 at $6.5 million per year. Those guys are 30 and 31, respectively. Or, as you mentioned, Pareko, $6.5 million per year for eight more years. Are those Ooh. contracts tradable right now? Um, well, you know, in a way they're, they're more tradable. Yeah. Because you are dealing with a league that is now cognizant of the salary cap, finally climbing by a significant rate within the next few years. I mean, that was really good news from Gary Bettman to say that the league's economics have recovered, uh, from COVID to the point where now the cap's going to start to rise. And, and now all of a sudden teams are going to have a little bit more flexibility to add, a, a Tory Krug if they wanted to, or, you know, someone of that nature. So like, um, that's, that's really good news from a, from a long range perspective. But I mean, if you're, ta- if you're asking me if these players have value, of course they have value. The problem is, is that, um, you know, when you're talking about players that make the money that they make and have the contracts that they make, it's probably going to have to be a money in money out situation. It's not like people are going to flip you a bunch of prospects for, for Shen. Right. So, 
Um, that kind of complicates things a little bit insofar as what the return is going to be. And, and if you're ultimately making your team better through trading some of these veteran guys or if you're just trying to just reshuffle the deck a little bit. Craig, uh, Greg, final one for me. Um, you know, the Blues aren't the only team that's struggling right now in the midst of a losing streak. Like Calgary's lost five in a row. Pittsburgh's lost seven in a row. And, and I guess my question is looking at those teams and then looking at St. Louis, is there a massive difference between their early struggles and St. Louis's early struggles? Um, well, I mean, in St. Louis's case, I think we can pinpoint it on one thing, which is the offense just hasn't hasn't clicked. And, you know, Ryan O'Reilly has put a lot of that on his own shoulders. I think they're, they are feeling the loss of David Perron maybe a little bit more than they anticipated insofar as his ability to get you that goal when you need it or create offense uh, in, in a top-six role. Um, the other teams just have their own ills. I mean, the Penguins suffered a, few, a couple of little injuries that I think have really messed with their process and, and aren't getting the goaltending that you'd expect from them early in the season. Um, Nashville also not getting the goaltending, which is weird because their goalie's really good. And then Vancouver is, I mean, say what you will about the Blues, right? But at least they're not a dysfunctional mess. Like, they're a mess, but they're not a dysfunctional mess. They don't have the general manager going on every radio station with an earshot of Vancouver talking about how miserable he is that, that, that he had to bring his coach back because he didn't make the, the coaching hire but inherited him from the owner. Like, at least you're not a dysfunctional mess at this point if you're the Blues. And then I guess we could be happy about the, those small things, right? It, it's something. Uh, at least we've got <laughs> it that going for It could always be worse, us. right? <laughs> hey, at least you got that going for you, which is nice. Exactly. All right. Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon when the Blues aren't, you know, uh, in the midst of losing eight straight <laughs> games to tie the longest streak in the history of the franchise. Uh, we'll talk with you then. Anytime. Thanks. You got it. That's Greg Wyshynski here on 101 ESPN. I love that, man. He's great. I He's all aboard the lose hard for Bedard train. You heard it. I just can't get there yet. You, oh, you're still believing the turnaround. I told you what's going to happen. Dude. Like, I, I can get behind... Matt Rocchio is going to be in attendance, and he'll be able to tell his children someday. I can get behind you being absurd and saying Nolan Gorman is an outfielder, or, <laughs> oh, let's go out and get this guy because he makes a lot of sense for the team. I can't get behind you thinking they're going to beat a team that's got the best record in the NHL. All right, well, when it happens... I will you remember on air for you if it happens. I can't wait to record that. Are, are you... Can we shake on this real quick? I don't you know how to twerk, twerk but on Monday. Fine. Yeah. On on sure. video, sure. I will twerk on video. The, not not if. Rider, get your TikTok ready, my man. It might get uh, flagged, so I apologize for that. For just indecent on uh, behavior. video, you will twerk after the Blues beat the Vegas Golden Knights on Saturday because and, that's common. And that's if happening. they lose Thursday and then don't win any of these games, I might come in my suit for the funeral of the Blues cremation. What do I get when they don't beat Damn. the Vegas Golden Knights? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because that's the expectation. Everybody, The, the Vegas How odds. suffer your punishment. Like, I'll be going over to the FanDuel Sportsbook like on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, Vegas odds is, are going to be wild. Oh, DraftKings is so. probably going to be very heavily in favor. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of problem or solution. You're a problem. We know that to be true. Who on the blues are the problems and who are the solutions? I'm not talking about for the here and now. I'm talking about for the long-term future of the team. We'll get into that coming up at 1.30. But coming up next, do the Cardinals have any extension candidates on their roster going into the offseason? BT mentioned one that I think we should probably discuss. We'll do it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Wouldn't be surprised at all by seeing a short extension for Miles Michaelis. Maybe they add another two years to a deal for him. I think that would be a smart thing to do. And he actually ends up carrying some of that. Not that he's been here forever, but I think that he carries some of those traits that Adam Wainwright that you're going to be missing with him there. I think that that would be good cool. to have him. You already have Matt's. Uh, that, that is the lone piece that will still be there. I do wonder if there will be conversations with Montgomery and his agent. I believe he's a Boris client, so might want to end up testing the market. But you'll see exactly what the year goes uh, or how the year goes for him. That was BT yesterday on the fast lane. I think he brings up an interesting possibility with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Do the Cardinals have an extension candidate on their roster? And if they do, why is his name Miles Michaelis? I actually think that's exactly the one that I would be looking at right now. I'm not saying they should be extending Miles Michaelis for five years. He's a 34-year-old pitcher next year who has, in his last three seasons, one healthy year of pitching for the Cardinals. So there's some risk built into what I am about to say. However, the Cardinals, when you look at their rotation right now, they have one guy signed beyond this year, and it's Steven Matz. Then they've got a a lot of young guys that could potentially be a part of that mix. Maybe somebody like a Montgomery. I I don't think you extend him now. I think maybe if you do it, it would be after this upcoming season or maybe midway through the season. There are options for you. I wouldn't mind Miles Michaelis, though, and one of the reasons why, Alex, is because as I was looking earlier today, ESPN.com put their projections out on what they believe guys will get in free agency. I'm going to give you a few of the starters that were mentioned, and this is a combination of ESPN and The Athletic, both of their projections. Chris Bassett projected for a three-year deal worth $67 million. Avaldi, three years, $57 million. Even Jose Quintana, they've got it two years and $32 million. If I told you right now, you could add on to his current deal two more years for Miles Michaelis, and I don't know if he would accept this or not, but just out of hypothetically speaking, Two years, $35 million in total. So you're giving him $17.5 million per season. In effect, you're giving him the Wayno deal that Wayno signed over the last couple of years. Would you sign up for that? So you got him for this year and two more. Yeah, I would sign up for that. I, I For me, I think I would rather give the extension to Jordan Montgomery. Oh, interesting. I, I And I understand you've only had half of a season with him, but 29 years old, I think you saw the potential that Jordan Montgomery has is at least at best a number two in a rotation. And I mean, with the exception of what one season for him, I mean, he's just the epitome of health. And I think the fact that you can lock him up like Miles Michaelis, as great as it would be to lock him up, it would worry me that if you sign him to that with that three year extension or wherever you're going with it, the, 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 the scenario you put out there it would worry me that two of those three years, he's not the guy that he is right now. Whereas Jordan Montgomery, you know, you're going to get at least 150 innings out of him, maybe more. He would be the one that I would be willing to go to and say, we got a three-year contract extension for you on the table that buys out. What would that be? Two years of arbitration. He uh, would be, well, he's only got one year left. Oh, okay. So. so, so yeah, two years of free agency is you're buying out. He, he is the one that I think I would go to, uh, to resign. See, I, I think I would lean towards Miles Michaelis, and I, I think they should get a deal done with him because of the fact that you only have one guy under contract for next year. I, I think with Michaelis, you've seen him long enough to know when he's healthy, you know exactly what you have. In Montgomery, I've only seen him for half a season. I just don't truly know what he fully is. I understand you can look at the numbers in New York, and you can say, well, he's been really good for them. And to your point, he's been healthy for a big big chunk of his career. I, I just look at it and say, okay, that's great what he did in New York, but I'm – 
I only saw a little bit of what I wanted to see when he was here in St. Louis. He was great when he was here, but it's only been for half a season. Like I need to see it for I just another get concerned full season with lefties because when it goes, it goes quick. And so for a left-handed and, pitcher, I I would rather go year to year. I I think there's a real chance that Montgomery is a stalwart in this rotation. I just think I would like to make that decision either midway through this season or after this upcoming season. And there's no like numbers or science to throw behind this from my perspective. But anytime I see a guy that's been pretty healthy for the early part of his career, at some point I know he's going to break down. And, and seeing that Montgomery's not been he hurt. He actually wasn't healthy early on. I think he had Tommy John, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he had Tommy in 2018. John a, yeah. um, and then missed almost the entirety of the 2019 season. So he... he he made a total of seven starts in 2018, 2019. It's just been the last three years where he's been healthy. Yeah, I, I just look at it and say, I know what I have in Miles Michaelis. I trust that he's not, he's going to stay healthy because that's really the only thing that you can gamble on with pitchers because they're all going to break down at some point. It's knowing him that he's been here in the system or with the Cardinals for the last handful of years makes me feel more comfortable handing him like a two-year contract extension rather than a guy that's just been here for three months. I would also just add, like, I think that, the closest comp to Michaelis in this market is probably... Do you guys think it's Bassett in, in this year's offseason? Maybe. I Either I, him or Evaldi, I, I think, would think. I would think, I think that... It's more comparable to Evaldi's got Lindler. more swing and miss stuff, so I don't know if he fits I think into it's that pro- category. I think Chris Bassett is probably the closest thing to what you would expect Miles Michaelis to get if he were a free agent going into the offseason next year. Miles Michaelis would be 34 at that time. It, this is going to be the age 34 season for Chris Bassett coming up next year. And the projection on Bassett has been, for most places, somewhere around three to four years, 20 to $25 million on a per-year basis. So when people react viscerally, and I understand it, it's a lot of money to a two-year extension worth like $35 million for Michaelis, that would actually be probably a discount compared to what Miles Michaelis would command on the open market. So he would be locking himself into certainty where he knows I'm going to be here. I'm going to be with this team for the next three seasons. And that that very well could take him through the end of his prime and maybe through the end of his career. And he's locking up thirty five million dollars guaranteed the moment that he signs the deal. So he gets that certainty. And the Cardinals also get a bit of a potential discount compared to what he would get if next year he has another season where he starts 30 games and has a sub 35 ERA. So that's why you would do it from both of their perspectives. I think I would sign it. I think I would. And I like the fact that he's a right-handed pitcher. I like the fact that he is not a guy that is like constantly throwing it by you just in terms of the longevity, because I, I think that his profile will probably age pretty well, I would imagine. And so I don't have a ton of concern about what it will look like when he's 34, 35, 36, which is what the years would be on this contract. And I think he's a guy that is a leader within that clubhouse as well. And I'd like to have something in my rotation where I can look to that guy and say, okay, when Wayno's gone, he's going to be the guy that picks up the slack from what Wayno had previously. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's it's kind of like the other scenarios we've come up with in the offseason of trades and signings. I would not be upset about this. Uh, I mean, Miles Michaelis would be a really good piece to continue to be at least towards the front of this rotation moving forward. And with the uncertainty that you have of only having Steven Matz locked up, I'd be fine with this. Uh, Just what we've gone through the last couple of years. And I know that maybe that's behind him now, but him getting older and those injuries in the past, it just, it worries me to have that as the front man of your rotation for the next two to three years. And and I think the other thing for me too, is I just with, and BT mentioned that when we returned with Montgomery being a, 
Boris client. He's just going to go wherever the best money is. So, like, I understand that you could say, well, in theory, the Cardinals could re-sign him for that. But if he has a really big year, you're guaranteeing that he's probably gone, in my opinion, just because he's going to be searching for the biggest deal. And then if you kind of kick the tires and wait around too long, then Michaelis starts to get kind of in those waters of free agency. Then he can start looking for the best deal. Like, it almost feels like, in my opinion, that if you lean towards Montgomery, there's a chance, like, you're going to bet on Montgomery. Maybe you don't sign him in the offseason, but you try to get it done midseason. He starts to have a really good year, then things start to snowball out of control. Next thing you know, the Cardinals got four open spots on the roster. You probably need to resign one of these guys this offseason. I, I think you'd like to have that done. And then Jack Flaherty, you, you let this play out. I don't think there's any reason why you would consider re-signing him. And you see where the season takes you with the other guys. The other thing that I just wanted to mention here, I've mentioned uh, a few different times that the projections for this offseason the Athletic, yesterday we talked about some of the hitting projections that they had for their contracts. Today they posted their pitching projections. Yay or nay, real quick, we'll quick fire through these. You interested or no? Rodon, five years, $160 million. No, I'm no. a hell no on that. DeGrom, four years, $150 million. I'm a hell no, no on that no. as well. Verlander, two years at $87 million. No. Yeah. I'm a maybe. I'm a, I'm a definite maybe oh, on that classic one. sit on the fence. Chris Bassett, three years, $67 million. No. 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 Avaldi, three years, $60 million. No. no. Nope. Quintana, two years, $32 million. No. no. Nope. Uh, That's going to blow up in somebody's face. Corey Kluber, one year, $12 million. No. No. Nope. Michael Walker, one year, $9 million. No. No. Maybe. Walker would be the You're one. You're adding another dude to be in your four, five in your rotation. Walker has shown an ability to come out of the bullpen. Yeah, I remember how that went. He would probably, of that group that we just mentioned, be two for me behind Verlander. If you miss out on Verlander, which seems likely. This is like a Jim Bowden list. He would probably be the guy that I would have the most interest in. That being said, in the ESPN contract projections, they've got Rafael Montero, the, the reliever that we talked about yesterday, two years, $25 million. I would just rather sign that than get... Waka for a one-year $9 million. Agreed. Or Robert Suarez, they've got him at two years, $17 million. If you just want to go kind of one-for-one one on the money on a per-year basis, I would rather sign that. Kenley Jansen, one-year $14 million. I would rather sign that than getting Michael Waka. So I think a lot of the relief market is probably the the range that they should be shopping in as opposed to the starter market. Coming up next, problem or solution? Blues edition here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll announce Alex's punishment for this week's Pick'em Challenge coming up here in no, about man. five minutes or so. You didn't do that yesterday. That means no punishment this week. But right now, I want to go through some of the long-term questions that the Blues have to answer this season, Alex. Oh, this will be a short list. Play a game of problem or solution. We know that all of the guys that are on expiring deals, any of them could be made available at any time this year if it continues going in this direction. What about some of the guys that are on a long-term deal? There was a great piece earlier today in The Athletic. JR put it together, and you should go read that to get a more extended thoughts on this. But he had a few players that he asked somebody, hey, would this guy have trade value? Or do the Blues, are they just stuck with this contract long-term? So let's go through some of these. Problem or solution? Braden Shin 
He's got another four years on his deal, Alex. I love Braden Chin. He's my favorite player on the team, has been since basically the moment that he came over. And last night, which you saw at the beginning of the game, that's part of why. He can do that. He plays a 200-foot game. He's a goal scorer. He's helping other guys improve their game when they get onto his line. However, he's over 30, and if this is going to be some sort of a rebuild, is he a part of the problem with this contract or part of the solution, Alex? I, I I say he is part of the solution. I don't see how you can look at Braden Shen and say he's the problem. Uh, I know people will look at the cap and say, well, he's making $6.5 million for the next few years. Yeah, but those types of players, those types of players are always necessary for a team. I mean, you uh, Panger was on with Kerry uh, and Randy yesterday, and they asked him, Who's the heart and soul of this team? And Panger said it's Braden Shen. I mean, Braden Shen is a captain without wearing a letter on his jersey, although he wears the letter A. If O'Reilly is gone next year, I think Shen should get the C. Uh, Yeah. I I, don't know that they'll do it, but I think he should. I agree with you. I mean, look, I I mean, I I understand that the contract doesn't look great, but still, I I mean, Braden Shen is making six and a half million dollars for the next few seasons and is the leader in points on your team among forwards so he's the he's a solution if you want to get out of this mess not a problem yeah i agree he's a solution because he does everything and, and that's what you said so like i i don't see how he could be viewed as the problem i get it when you look at like his numbers minus nine i think part of that's just line mates have let him down and i said this yesterday or maybe it was two days ago i can't remember all these days are blending together because guess what it's a replay we stink uh I, I look at the i, I look at Braden shen and he's the guy that's kind of the Mr. Fix-It right now. You need to get somebody going. What do you do? You put someone on his line. Jordan Cairo, what, he, he's been paired up with Shen, what, the last two games? And we've talked about Jordan Cairo's looked better. So I, I think right now he's Mr. Fix-It for them. So I say he's not a problem. He's part of the solution. Brandon Saad, $4.5 million each of the next three seasons. He is 30 years old. He was exactly what we expected him to be last year. He's gotten off to a slow start this year offensively and then dealt with the injury as well. Alex is Brandon Sod and his four and a half million dollar per year contract part of the solution or part of the problem long term. I mean, you got to It's a veteran, so it's hard to say that he's a problem. But here's my issue. And it's only two games since he's returned, but two games and he played 1755 against Boston and 1915 against Philly. You know how many shots on goal Braden Sod, Brandon Sod had in those two games? I'm going to go zero. Big goose egg. Damn. Like I'm at the athletic in JR's piece today. Uh, it said it perfectly. He's a glorified middle of the roster forward. But and that's okay. You need guys like that. You do. But you need guys to do that who are going to be a little bit more productive. And he's a 24 goal scorer for you last season. I don't think he's a problem. I also don't know if he's a solution. So I'm kind of in between with Brandon Saad. I don't think on a bad team you need Brandon Saad. I think Brandon Saad is a player that you like to have when you're contending. I don't know that if you're a team that is going to go into some sort of a soft rebuild, I don't think he makes sense. You know who Brandon Saad is? Brandon Saad is Jaden Schwartz. Yeah. Brandon Saad is Jaden Schwartz. And for four and a half million dollars, I'm fine with that on my roster. I am fine with it if they're contending. I don't know. It, it, again, if they are a team that is going to go into a soft rebuild. And this what is if you're going to try and turn it around quick? then I think that there is a lot of potential pitfalls in that as well. I think you could run into an issue where you try to turn it around too quickly. And now instead of making things better, you could potentially make it worse. They're not the same players. So understand that I'm saying that because one of them is a hall of famer, but to curbs this point earlier, talking about the Tampa Bay lightning team, uh, you mentioned Marty St. Louis, and I know they're not the same player, but you want experience on your roster. You want a guy who's won a Stanley That's Cup. That's why I'm keeping Shen. I, Absolutely, but I, I think you need more than just one guy. So I would say Brandon Sod's fine. I 
I'm kind of with Alex because I find that where I could see him being as part of the problem, but I also could see him being part of the solution. But because I think you made a good point, BK, like he's a guy you want if you're on a competitive team. And right now, if we're talking about them going into a rebuild, I think then he's part of the problem. Then he's and, a and guy that's that you the thing is I'm talking about like the next two years if they're bad. And then that year three, that would be the final year of his contract. He's now 34 years old on a four and a half million dollar expiring deal. Is that the guy that's going to be a part of the core when they're good again? I think he's probably more of a third or fourth line player at that point in his career. And so I would say that you probably get more value out of him via trade at some point than you would by keeping him here. Again, this is all assuming that there's some sort of a soft rebuild that takes place over the next couple of years. Uh, Next one up, Jordan Cairo. I don't think we need to explain any of this. Everybody knows the background here. Part of the problem, part of the solution, Alex, long term. I mean, if you're going this direction and you gave him the contract, he's got to be part of the solution. I mean, he's going to have his ups. He's going to have his downs, but it's pretty evident that they want to go in this direction where he, along with Robert Thomas, are the faces of the franchise. Me personally, I would say it's part of the problem because Craig Berube likes to play one way and these guys like to play another. So if this is the direction you're going to go with a head coach, I would say it's part of the problem. I, I think it's he's part of the solution. I, I think when you look at Jordan Cairo, because of the contract he got, he's going to be there with Robert Thomas. Those two are going to be the guys that are going to be guiding the ship towards where it goes. If they take the next step, this rebuild or retool, or maybe they don't even end up getting to that spot, isn't going to take that long. But if they become guys that you just can't rely on, then this is going to be a long and painful rebuild. So I, I think he's part of the solution. I think they figure something out. I just think right now they're caught in between in their identity. They don't know what they are. And I think if you go towards that retool, you start to retool around Cairo, and he becomes one of those guys that then is viewed as the solution. You're going more towards his style rather than being caught in between. That's exactly where I'm at as well. Justin Falk, part of the problem, part of the solution, given his contract. And I think this is an important thing that I should probably mention here. I'm not saying these guys are bad players. But if the Blues go into a rebuild, you've got to take into consideration age, contract, value now versus value when the Blues are good again. Justin Falk, part of the problem, part of the solution, Alex. I'd say part of the solution because I think you need you need a top four defense, and he's a third, he's a second pairing defenseman for me. He's not a top guy, but you need guys like that. And for six and a half million dollars, like if you go to contract comps. I would take Justin Falk over a majority of those players making the money that he's making. So I think he's part of the solution. Oh, man, I I fall in between on Falk. I when I when I, when I say part of the problem, I'm not saying that again. He's not a bad player. Yeah. I I think he's part of the solution by moving him because I think you could get really good assets for Justin Falk. I so I guess I'm leaning towards part of the problem. I think you can get re- really good return for Justin Falk if you're going to enter this retool, and it also allows you to potentially look towards resetting the defensive core by moving one of those big contracts. And then you've got three remaining in Pareko, Letty, and Krug. Maybe you look to move another one of those as well. But I, I think he would be one of those that I say part of the problem just because he'd get such a good haul because he's one of he's I think he's arguably the Blues' best defenseman right now. I think now. he is their best defenseman. Yeah, so I, I think you look to move him just because you're going to get a good haul for him. I think part of the solution. He's 30 years old. He's a little bit younger than Tory Krug. I think he is a better player than Colton Pareko just straight up right now. If you were going head-to-head, which of these guys would you rather have long-term? I would rather have Justin Falk. I also think he's on a better contract because of the years, the term than Colton Pareko. So I would say he's part of the solution. And this gets us to our final three. I think we could throw him into the same category, Alex. Krug, Pareko, Letty. Those other three guys, two of them 
Pareko and Le- and uh, Krug, six and a half million dollars per year. Letty, four million dollars per year. He's got three years left after this year. Are those guys part of the problem or solution long term? I think Pareko's part of the solution. I think Krug and Letty are part of the problem. I think that that's ten and a half million dollars right there that you open up that you can look at finding a way to adjust your top four defense in a way that is a lot more strategic to how you want to play rather than a guy who's a power play specialist and another guy who is not problematic in his own zone but doesn't play heavy in front of his net you can find two solutions on the left side by opening up ten and a half million dollars who play tighter in front of their own net rather than more of the offensive minded focus i, I think all three are a problem same we can go ahead and sweep that yeah i like <laughs> Like, I look at Preco, and I don't think he's a guy that you view as a critical part of your team when you're entering into a new window. Like, he just has not lived up to that contract, in my opinion. And, like, I look at him, and I know we said going into the year, if he has a consistent partner, then maybe things are right for him. That's why last year was a struggle for him in the first half of the year. Well, he's reverted back to the same guy he was in the first half of the year, and he's with Nick Letty again. So... I think he's part of the problem. I, I think those three guys are a big problem, and they're guys that won't be here when it comes back to circling back around. Coming up next, we'll tell you what Alex's punishment is for this week in the Pick'em Challenge. And are you buying what Mo was selling? We'll tell you what he's selling next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to Alex's punishment for this week. He had three options. Drink a cup of coffee mixed with mayo. Push a football slide the full length of the field while Kerry Davis yells at him or read a page out of 50 Shades of Grey on air. Tanner, we put this on Twitter. We put it on the 101 ESPN app. What did the people decide for Alex's punishment this week? All right, so let's... Coming coming in last at 20%. 50 Shades of Grey. Read a page on air. Second place... Pushing a sled of the length of the football field at 34%. 46% of votes that came in were in favor of Alex drinking a cup of coffee with a nice little dabble of that white substance mayo in it. I'm okay with that. I I can handle white gelatinous substances more than BK can. But uh, do we need to get rid of the other two punishments and reset the, uh, the table? No. Reset the board. Because the sled has been there since week one. It'll we're eventually be, be selected. Gonna, I don't pushing, think it will, man. We're going to be pushing the sled through like a snowstorm in December. We'll be pushing it's the sled amazing. into the uh, polar plunge. Hey, it might be cold when BK serves his punishment standing outside. Well, and that's just it cold right cold. there. I, uh, for, for all of our listeners, you the people, I will not serve this, uh, serve this punishment until BK serves both of his. That's fair. Uh, I'm serving mine next week. For the people. Tanner had to order the costume. Yep. We've got it in. It's coming and in next uh, Monday. Hopefully nobody the like poor guy sees can't my email. afford an Ethernet cord, and you made him buy yeah, the costume. I got a car repair. I'm it for I, myself. I bought the last one. Yeah, I got you a lost, car repair, man. and I got to buy you a costume to be Pinocchio. Right, well, you know, What's well, up with that? Let's start a poll like the MLB Insider does. Should a BK have bought his costume yeah. for the punishment All rather right. than T-Bone? Before we get out of here, the fast lane coming up at 2 o'clock. Guys, yesterday, Derek Gould reported this on Twitter. He said that they talked to John Mosaloc out of the general manager meeting, and they asked him uh, who his starter is at shortstop. Mo, without a pause, said, quote, Tommy Edmond. He also added that it's a big spring for Paul DeYoung to show that his bat still has a place with the team and in what role that could be because there is competition for the utility job as well. Let's focus on the, the first part of that. He was asked who the starting <laughs> like shortstop is. He said part. Tommy Edmond. <laughs> 
Are you buying it? Are, are you buying that Tommy Edmond on opening day next year, no questions asked, will be this team's starting shortstop, and they will not even entertain adding one of the uh, available shortstops this offseason? I, unfortunately, am, am starting to buy that. I, The more and more this goes on, the more and more I'm starting to get really disappointed that they're not going to be on, on this market. And it goes against everything that, that John Mazalak said at that press conference of needing to upgrade the offense and protect Goldie and Arenado and upping the payroll it's all starting to change. So yeah, I am starting to buy that they're going to up the payroll and augment the offense by just adding a bunch of complimentary pieces to this team. Yeah. I, I find myself going through the Mo roller coaster to where I'm not sure what to believe because yeah, like it's off season, baby. That, that, I hate this. I can see where they don't, where it feels very carnal to go into the season with Edmund as the starting shortstop, but I don't see how you increase payroll and augment the offense by not spending big on the shortstop position. Unless you're going to sign Wilson Contreras, or and maybe that's the route they go. That one won't happen probably, but uh, the Contreras one makes sense for them. But after seeing what Mo was saying, it sound, I get the sense, and we talked about this earlier, that Sean Murphy feels more likely the guy that they're going to go after. And if that's the case, then how are you augmenting the offense and increasing payroll by not spending on a shortstop? It just doesn't seem to fit together. Yeah, you, we can read the tea leaves here. I, I think that they are exploring the shortstop market, but they're on the tertiary of it. I think if they end up with one of the shortstops, it'll be Dansby Swanson or Xander Bogarts. I think th- those are the guys that'll potentially fall into their criteria of getting five or six year deals worth 25 to 28 million dollars per year. I think those are the two that maybe if the Cardinals add a shortstop, I think it's one of those two. I don't think they should add Swanson at that price. I think you're overpaying for Swanson for that amount of money. I think for Xander Bogarts, you're getting a premier player for a premier price. Yep. He would be the one that I would be potentially interested in. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.